Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to make 2023 your best September elk season yet? If you answered yes, my friends, you are in the right place. From the Western Huntsman Podcast and brought to you by Phelps Game Calls, welcome to the School of September, the most comprehensive September elk hunting podcast on the planet. Listen in to some of the world's most prolific elk hunters joining us to talk about strategy, calling elk, spot and stock, and closing the deal on some of our wildest dreams. From the Broken Time Studio to your knowledge toolbox, let's get one step closer to notching that tag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is the kickoff series for, or episode if you will, for the 2023 School of September because, believe it or not, it's April. September is less than six months away and uh, we need to start working hard to get ready for September. For all of you listening, uh, I've got the original right here for the kicking off this series this year, Mr. Dirk Durham, the bugler himself, uh, to k- kick us off this year. So, uh, Dirk, how you doing, man? Please hold your applause at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hold your applause. We don't want to hear it yet. <laughs> yeah, that's where I push a little applause button. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, how are we doing? I'm doing. I'm. I'm great. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I. I love. It's what I like about this time of year is, like, you know, snow's melting, birds are starting to chirp, the turkeys are gobbling, and you just start kind of shaking off that winter blues feeling. You know what I mean? And and then we start talking about elk hunting. The the downfall to it is, I I think people don't realize how quick September sneaks up on us. You know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, I got to, it's about time to pull out the bow. It's about time to pull out the calls, start working towards September, start working on our calling and shooting and, and you know, putting our gear together and all that stuff. And then it's like, man, it is balls to the wall with, uh, you know, taking the kids to the, the, the lake to swim and going on summer trips and all, all the things that just, you know, mowing the lawn. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you wake up in September uh, elk season starts tomorrow. And so that's what I, I love and hate about this time of year. <laughs> that was yeah, a long, not... go ahead. And the older I get, I mean, the year just flashes by. It's like, man, I got, you, you hit like June 1st. It's like, finally summer's here. And then it snows a little bit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, man, am I ever going to get to the mountains? And then finally you're trying to fit a whole summer into like six weeks. Uh, because the weather's been crappy or you just can't get where you want to go and, or, you know, just other obligations, family stuff or whatever. And, and man, it just, you blink and it's like, Oh God, slow down, slow down. I, I need to do some more stuff before September gets here. And then, and then it's time to hunt. Yeah, exactly. And my, my biggest downfall, man, is like, I, I always set this goal. I am going to be in the best shape of my life come this September. You know what I mean? Cause I, I get a little bit, uh, I don't know, sedentary during the winter, put on a few extra pounds riding the tractor around plowing snow all winter. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) And, you know, and so last September, I was like half of where I wanted to be this year. I'm dude, I am determined, man. I am not I'm not going to struggle that first week like I did last year. I'm going to try to be in better shape because I'm a 
I'm pretty fat right now, man. Yeah, I feel you, man. I've, I've been, uh, well, I had two months of literal sitting on my ass doing a thing because I had an ankle surgery in December. And then I've been slowly able to like, you know, move, get up and move around a little bit more. And now I'm, I'm able to walk a bit and uh, do be doing uh, physical therapy, but man, I'm, I'm fat as a hog right now. I, I got a bunch of weight to lose between now, now and hunting season, but um, I feel like, you know, change the diet exercise. Um, I'll get there midsummer and then keep pushing. And it's by, by, by September, I'll be in pretty decent shape. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a goal. How is that going, man? Are you are you like able to go do some turkey hunting, bear hunting, anything this spring, or are you still kind of in recovery mode? I think turkey hunting is definitely on the on the docket. You know, I'm going to go. I plan on going turkey hunting in Oregon um, with my old buddy Ron over there. And um, you know, turkey hunting you can make it as difficult as you want, or yeah. as easy. We're gonna we're gonna lean on the on the easy part. Um, because of the ankle and, and then Ron, he's 72. So, you know, he, he'll probably be dragging my ass through the woods, you know, putting the hurt on me if I don't hold him back. But, um, are you talking about the Ron that comes over to North Idaho and hunts elk? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Ron I, Hewitt. Yeah. Hewitt. Ron, uh, interestingly, I posted a picture a few years ago on like Instagram or something. Um, and uh, I, I posted this picture of, it was like one of those silhouette cool pictures, me with my pack, and I'm coming off the mountain, and you can kind of see the river down there. Man, he nailed exactly where I was at. He's like, I know where you're at. I'm like, man, I got to I gotta be more careful. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, Ron, is, Ron yeah. is hunting everywhere in North Idaho. Yeah, man, I know. And so, and, and I, 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 it's like a, it's, it's a twofold thing, like. I don't want anybody to know where I'm going, but at the same time, I feel like if Ron's hunting there, I'm in the right place. Right. So. Right. And sometimes, like, when somebody, like, as long as they don't call it out publicly, that's cool. Because if you know, you know. And, and if you don't know, then you're not going to know what the hell it is anyway. So Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. So it's not like you've given it away to a new person. But um, as long as those people that I can spot it, then if they message privately, that's cool. But if you if you comment publicly and say, "Oh, that's old whistling Dick Peak," yeah, well, <laughs> not okay. I mean, that's that's not good because chances are you're not the only person that hunts there, and it's going to ruin it for mm-hmm. a lot of, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. And Ron didn't call it out publicly, but um, he, I think he messaged me or something. And I'm like, damn, yeah. dude, you like, you nailed it right. I mean, you're, it's not like you're within a five mile radius. You nailed right where I was. And, uh, uh, it, it's just cool. The, the one thing about North Idaho is it's so thick and brushy here. Like if you're in, if you're in the woods, if you're, if you're up in an area and there's not like a horizon shot or a long distance shot kind of thing, there is no telling where you're at because you oh, could yeah. be, you could be in unit one or unit six and it, within, within the woods, it, it all looks the same. Um, yeah. but, but I did, I, it was like a landscape picture. Uh, of coming down this mountain and he's like oh i know exactly where you're at <laughs> cool funny funny story about ron so four years ago at the portland sportsman show i had met ron and he actually had messaged me before like one of the the forums online or something uh and he'd hunted like the country where uh by where i grew up in he uh-huh. hunted all 
infantry back when it was really good elk hunting. And then, um, then he moved on. He had some other places. Yeah, it's up there by you. And he had some other spots. And anyway, uh, met him over there. Just a hell of a great guy. And, uh, you know, yeah. just like a, just like an old, just like an uncle or a grandpa, like a cool uncle or a cool grandpa, just loves hunting, loves outdoors, loves sharing it with his family and friends. And anyway, fast forward to that very next fall, mouth tab madness fall. Oh yeah. And yeah. 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 I hear a car coming. I hear a truck coming and I say, Dusty hide. Cause we're, we're just, I just got back to the truck after a big long hike I'm like dusty hide, so we're kind of hunkered down on the backside of the pickup. We kind of got caught with our pants down almost. And he pulled this truck pulls up and just stops and idles for a second. And pretty soon the guy says, "All right, come out. I see you guys over there." <laughs> and I walk out. And I'll be damned if it ain't wrong. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, really. What <laughs> a place with him and I had never talked about before. And turns out he'd been hunting there for quite a while too. Wow. Um, <laughs> just super funny story yeah no that's that's super uh i mean coincidental that just uh he he he, he so he busted you a couple of years ago eventually he's gonna bust me where where i'm hunting up here in uh in this unit but um yeah. another dude uh, another dude that you turned me on to i had him on the show that i i've really enjoyed getting to know and kind of have learned a lot just following him on instagram is bob Twilliger. Down in Colorado. Yep. That dude is a stud, man. Yeah. When I grow up, I want to be like Bob. I, that's <laughs> what I said on the show. I literally, because you'd said that and I'm like, oh, come on now. And I get him on the show and I'm like, okay, no, wait. Uh, Dirk was right. And I, what, what I think the message I'm trying to portray with, with these discussions is some of some of you younger guys out there, you know, Dirk and I are kind of in that middle of the road where, we're not old yet, right? We're not old yet. No, we're not old. We're just young. <laughs> we're we're just young buckaroos, but we're not spring chickens. And so, no. uh, some of you spring chickens out there, don't underestimate what you could learn from some of these older guys that have been doing this a long time. And and some of them are more than happy to spread the the information and the knowledge and the experience that they have. And it's it's just dynamite stuff, man. I like Bob. I could sit and talk to him for, and same with Ron Hewitt. Like I could sit and talk to these guys. I'd love to get them both around a campfire and just pick their brains on hunting and and uh, what what their experience is because it's you, you'll pull more out of than what we could do on a podcast around a campfire. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you right now, those are two men like beyond hunting. It's like you wanted to know about being a man and just be doing man stuff and being mm -hmm. a good. You could really learn. Well, I'm not saying you could learn a lot. Just in general. <laughs> oh, I could. I, I I could definitely. I already have. Could learn a lot from those guys just about being good men. I mean, they're just they're fantastic people. They're they have this. Uh, they're mentors without purposely trying to be mentors, and I think that that's what's important. Um, you, you know, and and that's it's just a unique thing. Not a lot of people are like that. You know what I mean? Where right. that's and one of the things I really like about getting you on the show is not only are you passionate about elk hunting and, and just like really driven to succeed in the elk woods, uh, you're really good at it. You're, you're very effective everywhere you go, you know, um, but you have this willingness to be a mentor to other people listening and the, you have a way of simplifying the complicated 
and and make it make sense for the average guy that is like listening. Okay, Dirk says he does it this way, and um, obviously, if if you jump at the, you know on his Instagram here at, at the Bugler, by the way, um, clearly you know what you're doing, and and I love the fact that you're you're not afraid to share this knowledge and and help other people succeed. Where does that come from? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I, I've just always been a kind of a, kind of a giver, I guess, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. Right. Um, and, and I've always, you know, I had some, some old timers, um, help me out when I was young, you know, and I had questions and, and then I had to learn a lot of it on my own. You know, I just had to learn a lot of, of real elk hunting stuff on my own. And, um, I didn't, I don't know. I just find a lot of value in that. And I feel like if you can tell people to do things the right way or, or maybe a different way that, that works or, you know, that, that makes everybody kind of get along a little bit better. Um, that's good. I mean, that's not, that's not bad for anybody, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's good. So, uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I, just, I like to share. Yeah, you do, man. Um, and, and it's it, it just comes across the, the like it doesn't come across with a bunch of ego. That's that's another important factor. Um, it's not like you're this egomaniac out there. Look at me, I'm the bugler. Uh, I kill every elk that walks in front of me. But you, you don't, <laughs> you know. And 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 I love that. And by the way, um, I promised Dusty, your cameraman, last elk season we got we got to talking on the phone there when you were changing your tire because your tire blew out or whatever. Yeah. And Dusty was in the truck with you. I still need to get Dusty on the show because I'd love some of that, you know, peeling back the curtain of hunting with Dirk Durham. Uh, well, I was just going to say, like, you know, uh, the no ego maniac. I'm like, well, you better not talk to Dusty because <laughs> he'd probably have something to say about that. After all of his funny little little uh, cameos he was doing or the little, I don't even know what you call them, the little. Oh, the behind um, the scenes stuff that he was recording on the mall- uh, madness videos oh yeah man uh, like there was nothing funnier that th- those videos you guys put out and and he's like doing these little behind the scenes recording acting like you know you couldn't hear him or whatever that dude is funny man uh, he oh i've been hunting with dirt durham actually it's jerk durham and, and just the way like he had a delivery i'd love to get him on the show so let yeah. him know. Uh, hopefully he's he's listening to this, but let him know. I'd I'd love to get him on the show. Let's let's do it in like the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell him. We're gonna find out how bad your socks stink in the uh, tent. <laughs> well, he'll probably have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, before we get into like the nuts and bolts of some of your strategies, tips, whatever we we usually do talking about elk hunting, um, is there anything new that we should know about from Phelps game calls regarding new calls coming out or existing calls improvements or just any general announcements outside of, um, yeah, you know, the other stuff you guys have been doing. Uh, and before you answer that, I got to tell you, man, uh, those deer calls you guys came out with are money. Uh, we had, we had a hell of a season up here in North Idaho using those calls and, uh, they, like I am not a great deer caller, man. I'm and and I don't know. I don't know if I've even mentioned this on the on the show, but I I just te- I just barely like a month ago got approved for um 
disability from the from, from the VA for my hearing because I'm I'm super deaf, man. Oh yeah. So I'm using uh it was the grunt tube. I, and I can't remember the name of the grunt. What what are the grunt tubes called? There's the Alpha Pro, there's the Beta Pro, the Beta. And the- so I was I was using the Beta with my daughter. I had my uh, daughter at the time she's 13, she's 14 now. Uh, her and I are sitting in this blind, uh, and and I'm using that beta call, and she's sitting there like nudging me. She's going, "Dad, there there is there is a there is a deer coming. I can hear him walking. I can hear it walking, and I can hear it like blowing and puffing and and maybe even raking whatever." And I'm like, "I don't hear anything, Shiloh. What are you talking about? I you know I I've been hunting for how many decades, and, and <laughs> I don't I don't hear shit." And uh, no kidding, man, I kind of look up to the left and there is this giant whitetail buck. And I, what day was this? This ha- It was after my birthday, so it was probably around the 15th of November. There's oh, this giant whitetail buck who's got his head poked out of the brush. And he starts walking out of the brush and he's, he's uh, 60 yards, maybe 60 yards. And oh, and she's looking the other direction, and so I I I kind of nudged her, I elbowed her. I'm like, Shy, there is a huge freaking buck right there to the left, and she's looking, and finally she sees it. She grabs her rifle and starts pulling the rifle up, and the sling kind of makes a noise, you know, a little, you know how they squeak sometimes. And that buck tuned into that sling and spotted the blind we were in, and turned. He, I mean, he trucked into a different zip code in in seconds but th- he came in thinking he was he was coming in for a fight man it was almost like elk hunting kind of septemberish feeling because that buck he was fired up and he came in on that beta call uh stomping the ground and uh he's grunting back and all this i, I wish i could have had it on camera it, it was awesome yeah. and i and and the reason i'm telling you this story is because i have never in my whitetail hunting career had a buck that was that fired up or, or like pissed about somebody else grunting in his territory. Right. We Man. never got that buck, never saw him again. Um, I, I don't know what happened, but it, it was, it was just an amazing moment between my daughter and I, cause we both, after he bolted, we looked at each other and like her eyes were like, you gotta be kidding me. That thing just got away. And she, she was shooter. Right. And so, uh, she, she would have killed a, a bigger whitetail than I've ever killed. And, and, uh, it, it was just cool, man. Those, anyway, the point being those calls are money. Anything you want to announce, uh, from the Phelps game calls front, uh, regarding elk calls or anything else? Well, it's kind of what, not elk calls, but since we're in the season of Turkey and nobody really cares about Turkey, right? <laughs> I do, man. I do. <laughs> Turkeys matter. Turkey lives matter. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> uh, they're the they're the they're the elk of the spring, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's, that's what I heard. We we came out with some really cool small batch calls this spring. Um, a hooter call, a couple different hooter calls, and uh, two different pot calls, and we call them small batch. So um, typically, we 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 machine all of our calls. Um, and then they're at the machine shop, then those guys assemble them there. But, uh, and those guys, you know, they're machinists, they build calls for a living. Um, and they're, they're, they're good at their job, but we like, you know, we want to make sure these things sound right. And then we want to make sure they have the right parameters that, you know, they're, they're 
the the engineering behind it is right. So we went to small some uh, custom call makers. So we went to James Harrison for the Hooters, and we went to Steve Morgan's turn for the pop. And these guys are national champ, national world champion titled callers and call builders um, in the turkey turkey world, right? Yeah. Um, the Hooters. So you're not calling owls. I mean, you can't call in owls with these Hooter calls, but they're they're a locator call for turkeys. And shit, two years ago, I didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I'm from the West, right? I didn't know they even made a hoot, an owl hooting call um, to make uh, a turkey gobble, let alone have contests to see who the best owl hooter in the world was, right? Uh, <laughs> I know. It's a whole different world back East, you know? We, <laughs> totally. That's the thing about us people from the West. There's just a whole other world past Montana, right? <laughs> yeah exactly i i had no idea that that people did hoot hoot calls hoot owl calls for turkey hunting uh until i don't know like a year ago two years ago maybe yeah it's it's crazy that what what there is out there and then same with you know that you can you can compete with diaphragms and there's friction calling whether you're using a uh a, a, like a pod or a box or whatever anyway we want to make sure we got these calls right. We want to make sure they sounded right and they were high quality. So what we did is we had the machine, this our machine shop, machine these calls to the to to the call builder specs, and then they shipped them to Missouri. And these guys live about three or four hours away from each other in Missouri. But anyway, uh, they shipped the pots to Steve. They shipped the Hooters to to um, to James, and so then they begin to assemble them. So you know. It's not just slap it together, glue it together, you're done. Like, there's a little bit of, to make a perfect sound and call, I mean, there's a little bit of finesse. So when they got them, it's like, well, Machine Chop did pretty good, but maybe I need to sand a little here, sand a little there, just to make a perfect fit, you know, perfect finish, then assemble them in the in their proprietary way that where they're going to sound really good. And then they test every single one of them before they go out the door. So you have the, the best and the, some of the best guys in the world to ever blow a bell hooter or uh, strike a, a pot call, tune them before they walk, go out the door to make sure they're they're good. So um, anyway, that interesting. That, that's pretty exciting. So um, those and are those are next year. They're they're on the website now. Yeah, they're on the website now. Sweet. Um, and for instance, those those pot calls. You know, I, I know we're supposed to be talking about September here. <laughs> Dang it. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll don't 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 fret. We're good. But. I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole on these pot calls. So totally. one of them's made from teak wood and green slate. So green slate, like, yeah, big deal. It's, it's green, right? Yeah. Well, turns out there's like very few places in the United States where you can get green slate, which is like on the, in the mountains of Delaware, New, between Delaware and New York or something. So they, after they mine it, they have to keep it wet from the time they mine it out of the hillside through transport all the way to the mill to where they slice it up, um, cut it into pieces and then ship it from where it's stored to where the guys make pot calls out of it. So it's got to stay wet the whole time because if it doesn't, it, it'll crack. Yeah. So it, it's, it's crazy, but the sound quality out of green slate is superb. It, it, I mean, gray slate's great, but green slate's even above it. And then, um, teak wood, you know, that's, you know, some people have, it's been dubbed the king of woods and the wood of the wood of kings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, huh. you know, 
it's a very stable wood you know it doesn't get it's not going to fluctuate with with temperature and, and stuff and um as much as some other woods will but anyway it's just a beautiful column the other ones made it made out of um osage orange which is a very very solid wood very stable wood and then the the friction surface is aluminum it's alcoa aluminum the same shit they make uh logging truck wheels and, and semi-truck wheels out of those aluminum wheels on there really so it's aluminum yeah and it's very thick so it's going to be stable you know depart, depending on temperature swings and whatever else but mm-hmm. these calls are they sound great and uh anyway made in america small batch um so that, that that's what we did this spring um, we got some other really cool shit coming out later this summer. I can't talk about it yet because it's super secret. But you're gonna flip when we when we get there. So um, we'll we'll talk again. Well, we're gonna have to talk. Is it? Can you tell me if it's elk related or not, or is it deer related or animal call? Uh, the animal you're trying to call is uh, rhymes with the word milk. Okay. So uh... elk milk. Interesting. I didn't, so I didn't I, say anything, no, you didn't say anything. You didn't say anything. I, I, I'm, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, that's exciting, and, and I like, I like to bring that up because uh, Phelps Game Calls is the sponsor, uh, the name sponsor for the School of September series, and uh, everybody listening knows that I'm a huge Phelps Game Calls fan. I've been using using your guys' stuff for a long time, and um, it's just everything you come out with. Like, I've been going through, I don't know if you know this, I, I've been going through that uh, wolf hunting course, the wolf master's class from Stuck in the Rut from Tom. From Tom? Oh, Yeah, man. Awesome. And I need to take that. What's that? I need to take that. You do. You do, man. It's it's really, it, so it's it's crazy because it's not what you think. Like the what what you think you might know about wolves and hunting wolves and pursuing wolves, it's like totally not what you think, and um, the just learning about like the behavioral aspect that Tom goes through in in especially like that first segment on that course, uh, and, and uh, so then he's got he brings in the wolf howler that you guys did. Yeah, and and talks about how that is used and and how to close the distance on wolves and and locate them and all this stuff. It's crazy, man. It's it's so different than any other animal that I've pursued. And I I, I like I'm almost through the course and I'm chomping at the bit for this snow to melt so I can get up into because uh, I know where some wolves are hanging out, uh, but I can't get up there right now. I don't have a snowmobile, uh, so. Oh. Um, I'm just, I'm pumped about it, man. You, you really should take that course. It's, it's bitching. Like Tom does a great job and I, I know way more about wolves than I did like a month ago. It's, it's amazing. So, but this wolf howl, howler that you guys did is, is going to be a huge part of that. Uh, cause that's part of his strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, during prototyping, I sent him prototypes and had him test them. And I'm like, are we even getting this right? I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. He's like, well, change this, do that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and helped us out there because you know he's he's out there living it and knowing it and, and that's what we try to pride ourselves on is like trying to make sure we have the right people guiding us if if you know stay in our lane like i know a lot about elk calls but um maybe i don't know that much about it wolf calls right so yeah you want the people that kind of know to have some skin in the game to, to that to where they you know they tell you the right feedback and the right information. So. Well, you you pick the right guy, man. I mean, Tom's Tom's the only dude I know uh, 
and and I, I'm probably just not. I don't know everybody, obviously. So, but Tom's the only dude that I know that consistently goes out and hunts for wolves and gets it done. Uh, I know I, I know some good trappers. I know some really good trappers that are that are fantastic at wolf management because they go out and trap a few wolves. Um, and but but hunting them is way harder. And oh, hunting yeah. them is a, it, I don't want to say it's harder. It's it's a totally different ball game. Um, and the skill set that you need to be successful. I mean, Tom's Tom's your guy. Uh, so anyway, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. But well, let's let's talk about elk for a minute, man. Um, do you like to hunt elk? First of all, I mean, is that your thing? Um. Well, I'm trying to get into it. Um. <laughs> well, I- I love elk hunting. It's my reason. It's my why. Um, I told my mom when I was a, a, a sophomore in high school, when I first started elk hunting, my first year elk hunting, I told her, I said, Mom, school is ruining my life. <laughs> I have to come because I would hunt every morning before school. So I would chase bulls for 45 minutes or an hour, maybe an hour and a half before I had to, to leave. And I'd have to run back home and, and like I'd have bulls going off crazy and then they'd have to run. And I'm like, mom, school is ruining my life right now. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't give you any leeway, did she? Like, no, still... <laughs> she, no, she did. And I was, I was late the first period a lot, but Mr. Wright, we had wood shop, uh, me and my best friend, Randy, which is my brother-in-law now. Um, <laughs> we had, we had wood shop first period and we'd go in there and the, the shop teacher's like, all right, you guys are tardy. And I'm like, wait, we were elk hunting. And he's like, what? He's like, come into my office. Hey, we get in there. He's like, where were you guys at? What'd you see? And we pump him full of shit, like where we were at. But like, we'd never tell her, re- reveal our hunting spot, but we'd tell him about all everything we saw for the day. So he let it slide like, oh yeah, we're, we weren't so tardy at all. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I, there's, there's so much I love about that story too, Bian, because you, I think you told that story on uh, another episode you and I did years okay, ago. So- and and I love that story because there's there's two parts to that man like the way you grew up and where you grew up in right in the heart of elk country uh it's like elk hunting is in your DNA and and there's a lot of kids that that grow up and go to high school where where they're going to go into first period a little bit late and elk hunting's not going to be an excuse but the way you grew up that dude was into it and he like he he cut you guys some slack because you you were out there uh, it's not like you're out there, uh, you, you know, smoking dope or, um, staying out all night, you know, get, get drinking and, and, and getting in trouble. No, you guys, right. you guys are late cause you're out there elk hunting and, yeah. and, and there's just something to be, I don't know, respected about that. And, and I think that that, ah, oh, man, I, I just, I wish more of America was still like that, I, I guess is what I'm getting at with that. Cause it's, it, it's, it's going to be like this lost thing where that relationship can be built with a teacher like that, that, that understood your values and your, your life and, and wanted to pursue it in that way. So, um, I'll, I'll go down a total rabbit hole with that if I don't stop. Well, yeah, I mean that, that, that part of uh, the experience for kids these days is almost gone. You know, I would almost bet there's probably some kids that, that live in that town that I grew up that, that might still do that. Mm -hmm. I know, High school that I went to at the time there, the guy that's a principal there, he's a good friend of my brother's and, and a friend of mine. And he's got a couple of boys 
that uh, you know, one of them's out of co- out of high school and the other one's in high school. I'm, and I'm, I'm those guys are hunting fools. Um, so I almost bet I bet there's probably been some times where those guys were late to school and Dad had to pull some strings. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, and that's that's the right thing to be pulling strings for. Yeah. But that, that's a special time, you know, and, and that's not, and it's unique. And unfortunately, uh, you know, all, all kids haven't haven't had that kind of opportunity to experience that. But, but so, that, you know, for the, the guy I am today, you know, it made me love elk hunting. I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever asked asked you this before, but um, your your draw to elk hunting, right? You, you've got you've got this. Uh, anybody that is curious about Dirk's upbringing, go back to the Western Huntsman podcast and listen to episode number one. It was the first episode and that was like the uh, expose on the bugler, right? We go through, we we go through uh, the way you grew up, your parents, your childhood, how you got into hunting, all that kind of stuff. So that, that's all detailed out in that episode. It's it's a really good one. Actually, it still gets a ton of downloads. In fact, it's crazy. Um, But the the question I want to ask you with when it we're talking about elk hunting and the draw that you have to it, I, I guess I'll lay it out this way. Like for me, since I was young, I've always had this thing where I'm I'm I get really excited when I can communicate with an animal, and and it's for me it started with coyotes. I I learned how to call coyotes in, and I I was really good at it. It's you know they had a bounty on coyotes where I grew up and my motivation was, is I didn't have to get a real job because I can kill coyotes, collect the bounty. And that gave me the gas money for that 1977 Chevy pickup that drank more gas than, than a drunk, uh, sitting at a bar. Um, and, and so that's, that instilled in me this love for communicating with animals. And that's why I'm really excited about wolf hunting. That's why I get excited about Turkey hunting and it is definitely why I I live for elk hunting. That that communication and that um, you just had like this conversation with with an animal that is you know obviously completely different from you, but you were able to communicate with that animal to convince it to come to you, to convince this bull elk to come and see you whether he wanted to fight you or check you out or, you know, size you up or whatever the case is, that communication is what made that connection happen. And, and for me, that's, that's magic, man. And that's, that's why I'm so excited about September elk season every single year. So that the question I have for you is what is it about elk hunting for you? Is, is it the communication? Is it a combination of a lot of different things, the country you're in or, or like give us a sense of, as to where that comes from? Yeah, it's, it's multifaceted. So, um, like you, I, I just love, um, fooling a wild animal with my calls, um, to make him think I'm another animal. Right. And I've always been kind of a natural mimic when I was a little, um, we used to, you know, I've what used to watch a lot of TV and it's funny. I, I can quote a lot of silly, obscure, weird shit from my childhood that I watched on TV because I watched a lot of it. For instance, uh, like Rich Little. Do you remember Rich Little, the guy that did impersonations? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you first said that, I didn't, I, it didn't connect. But yeah, yeah, he used to like back in the seventies and eighties. He was big for doing impersonations of whoever, the president or any kind of like celebrity. Yep, he was real. But I thought that was neat as shit. I'm like, I man, I I wanted to do that when I grew up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So I, I tried to imitate everything I heard, uh, whether it was singing, whether it was like people's quirky, weird voices um, or animals. I'd hear a I'd hear a freaking raven go over, you know, and I'd go, ah, ah, I'd start, you know, calling at him or whatever. And no matter what I heard, I, I was always just kind of a natural mimic trying to mimic it. And then, um, and then I really wanted to elk hunt. You know, I told the story about, you know, when I was a kid, you know, the first year I had close encounter, but I wasn't even bow hunting. I was bear hunting and had these elk come in. And I was like, dad, we got to go to town and buy a bow and arrow and, and all the stuff. And, and, uh, he said, no. So the next year I worked hard, bought all, you know, worked hard, spent all my money to buy, to buy archery equipment. And I had not heard a real elk bugle in the woods until the very first day, very first day of season. And just that first day, it just had me hooked and like, okay, I can see what I'm doing wrong. I'm going to try to work on it and get better and mimic that elk and try to make my my bugle and, and cow calls sound like them. And then um, it just kind of went from there. It just, it was so fulfilling. And it was, it was like, like you said, it was, ma it's magical when you can fool a wild animal to, to, to believe that you're a, a human or that you're another wild animal. It's just, I, mm -hmm. to, it just astounds me. Like when it happens, like, I can't believe that happened. Like he, he literally thought I was an elk and he came in. Yeah. So, um, so that's a huge part of it. And the country's part of it too. You know, um, September is a special time. I, I'll, I've said it once. I'll say it a hundred times. It's, it's the best month to be in the mountains. Um, you got your fall colors coming. You got the crisp mornings, the cool nights, you know, warm afternoons. Um, yeah. I mean, you that can make transitional a, time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful time to be there. You got some great sunrises and great sunsets. It's just sometimes you, and I, in Dusty, I'll tell you this, he probably gets tired of listening to me like, oh my God, look at that. Look at the way the, the sunlight's on that huckleberry brush. It's, you know, blood red. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, you know that? And he's like, yeah, it doesn't turn out the same. Like, ah, it's so that's like one of my frustrations of, of photography or, or video is like not being able to, to show the fall colors in their true form. Uh, oh, or, tell me about it. Or a sunrise picture. It just is never the same as physically being there in person or some of the just outstanding, beautiful places we go that I can't show up because people are going to be like, Oh, I know where that's at. You know, I, I just can't do it. You know? So I, I don't want to blow the place up for mm -hmm. self and or the, the other folks that hunt there. So, um, but you know, the, the country, it's just, and the, the, the country means a lot to me. So, you know, it's hard. I mean, I always complain about wolf infested North Idaho. Um, the elk numbers are low. Um, they're few and far between. Um, but man, there's a lot of beautiful landscapes. Uh, you go to New Mexico where I was at and it was pretty it is in its own way. It's different, different kind of pretty, but it's not the same. And you know, there's a lot more elk, but it's just not the same. It's just, yeah. you don't get, and then maybe it's just that nostalgia. You get to feel the feels that, you know, it's like, Oh, and, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's I, home for you. It's home for you. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying because the, I, I have a thing for North Idaho and I have a thing for high altitude subalpine quakey forests. Oh, yeah. You know, that transitional space where you've got that super high elevation area, that subalpine area where it's above the tree line. That's cool. But it's, it's for me, it's right below that, that, that I grew up on that those quakey forests, 
mixed with a little bit of pine and the smells and the sights and the way the sunlight hits it and, and all that kind of stuff. It, that translates to like, I relate that to home. That's what home is. And that's what yeah. North Idaho is, you know, and, and it, that's what it is to me and my daughters. Uh, North yeah. Idaho is a unique place and people growing up in central Montana, they have that same feeling The people grew up, they grew up hunting the bighorns in Wyoming. They have that same feeling. And it's, it's just, there's, there's always that nostalgia of where you grew up and, and the place that you call home that separates it from everywhere else. And that's, that's part of the draw. I think, I think it's part of the draw and you know, a, a screaming bull elk is uh, just an added bonus. Oh yeah. Yeah. You so. know, I don't know if everybody does this, but sometimes at night when I'm trying to sleep and I can't, I'm having a hard time getting to sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody else does this. I assume probably people do, but you go to your happy place and like, I, and it's hard. Like usually I have a lot of distractions, a lot of different things on my mind, like keeping me awake. And I try to go to my happy place and my happy place is laying in the shade on a mountain. I know this exact, know the exact, exact, exact spot where um, I'm laying there. I'm kind of drowsy and it's that middle of the day and the wind is rustling through the aspen leaves, making that the little quaking aspen, just that little rustling of leaves. Oh yeah. And, you know, to nap in that place. And I always go to that place. It's like, all right, I really need to go to sleep right now. Okay. So I, I, I go to that place and think about it and focus on it until I go to sleep. But um, you know, that's, that's elk hunting. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's more than just killing an animal. It's more than just filling the freezer. More than calling, getting elk bugle. It's just so multifaceted. You know what I think of when you say that, dude. <laughs> um, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. That taking a nap on the mountain and the and the rustling leaves and the smells and the sights and you, and like there's nothing better. You're just so connected to the outdoors, and then you fall asleep and wham! All of a sudden, the yellow jacket stings you right on the neck or something like that. Like that, 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 I say that because that's exactly what happened. Actually, that was two years ago now. Two years ago, I'm taking a nap up elk hunting and I I get whacked by this damn yellow jacket while I'm, I'm like dreaming of elk coming in, you know? Ridiculous. So, all right. I want to talk about, um, like, you've hunted. Idaho, you've hunted Colorado, you've hunted Montana, you've been in New Mexico, and then last year you went to Utah. Um, you've had all these great different Western experiences. Um, I want to, one of the things I want to talk about, and kind of, it's not like a theme of this year's School of September series, but I wanted, I do want to change it up a little bit for School of September. Um, I, I want to talk about lessons learned from last season and some of the things that maybe you, you know, how. You go through, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's hunting or your day job or whatever, you go through and you think you got all of this, this experience and all of a sudden, bam, you learn something new that you never expected kind of thing. And yeah. that's the beauty of elk hunting, man. I mean, like there's always something to learn. And so give us give us like a, an overview of what last September was like for you first, and then we'll kind of take it from there. It started off at one of the most fantastic experiences hunts I've ever been on and, and ended with one of the toughest hunts I've ever been on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the perfect season, (laughs) but uh, you know, 
right from the beginning. So my my buddy Mark drew a special elk tag down southern Idaho. And, you know, it's a, it's known, in, you know, it's a really hard tag to get. It's really known for big bulls. Do you want to tell everybody what unit that is? Um, no, I, you know, I, it's unit. Damn you, you know, Dirk. 85. Unit 80. <laughs> 85. That's the <laughs> one. Right. That's the one. <laughs> the one over in, in, in Utah, no. But, <laughs> but anyway, everybody, like, anytime you draw a, a good tag, there's lots of advice. And there's lots of, like, people like, oh, yeah, well, this is what the elk do there. And this is that. So one thing you have to understand, like, advice is good, like, from, from folks who know, like, but sometimes you have to take advice with a grain of salt. Some people who are saying, like, oh, this area, there's no elk there at all in August. They all move in from a different area and uh, in, in September, and then they rut there, and then they move out um, later on, like. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. And they're like, oh, yeah, don't, don't even bring a bugle because they're not a bugle. I mean, it's, you know, September yeah, 1st. all the time. Uh, you know, you you guys, like a buddy of ours that went with us, then he, he had the tag before. And he'd been spend another year just there helping another friend. He's like, yeah, your your calls are probably not going to do no good. But, you know, you can you can try and you can blow them all you want. Um. I've never had such good calling in my entire life. It was, it was like I had a magic damn flute that I was blowing off. <laughs> and I, wasn't I always doing like any- it when you refer to a bugle as a flute. It, it yeah. cracks me up, man. <laughs> it's, my flute. <laughs> it's the sound of September. <laughs> um, anyhow, I mean, I didn't, wasn't doing anything fancy. I wasn't trying hard, like doing, pulling out all the stops, right? I was just doing regular bugles that anybody can do. Um, dude, we, like the first day, my buddy passed up a, like a 330 bull and a 340 bull within 30 minutes of each other. Um, That's nuts, man. I, 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 I don't know if I have that discipline. I, I was like, you're crazy, man. I would have, I would have jerked the trigger on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like, the bulls got bigger, and we only had four days to hunt there early. And um, then we left and went to Utah to go hunting. Um, and then my buddy, he returned the favor and, and called for me there in Utah. But uh, And then he went back later on. And after he had to go back, he went with me for a few days. And then he had to go back to work for a few days. And then he was able to go back later in the month. And he shot a really nice bull. He passed up some bigger ones. But he's like, no regrets, man. I had the, the best time of my life. And this one here is beautiful. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's, it's a beautiful bull. You know, it's not all about inches. So you have to respect that. Oh, for sure, man. I, I think, well, anyway, keep going with the recap. So, I'm trying so, not to distract us. So the biggest takeaway with those the really good draw tags, like listen to advice. There's you're gonna find a lot of good advice, but you're gonna have to filter out a lot of shit. And then also, just because you drew a, a fantastic tag doesn't mean you don't have to hunt hard. I mean, you still have to show up and you have to grind it and you have to hunt hard and you have to try hard because um just because Dirk Dirk's magic flute worked that that year. The next next year, it could be a complete different story, right? It might have just been a fluke. Who knows? But you have to expect that you're going to have some downs and you're going to have some ups and probably lots of ups and downs um, before your hunt's over. And and just know that right off the bat. Yeah. Even on even on a premium, um, good 
tag that anybody would give their left nut for, um, then you still have to show up and hunt hard. So, um, what about then, a woman hunter? Would she give her left nut? Left ovary. There you go. Thank yes. you for being politically correct. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> That's our job here. <laughs> so then, so then you go to Utah, man. And then Utah, it was a special hunt, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a transparent guy. There's no smoke and mirrors here. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, we were on public land and in Utah. No, we, we were on private land. It was a 280,000 acre cattle ranch, um, which they lease out certain sections of it to um, outfitters to guide for elk, deer, whatever, you know, all the big game yep. species. Uh, has except for sheep. I don't think they have any bighorn sheep or goats or anything like that. But does, does Utah have bighorn sheep? I don't. I don't even. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. They have. I, I know they have mountain goats. Uh, but that where I know where you were at and the ranch you were. I I think I told you the story. One of the the second biggest mule deer buck I've. Uh, I, let's not get off track. Uh, I know where you were at, and it's a great area. Uh, but yeah. there's no bighorn sheep there. But there's a shit ton of elk. I probably sound really stupid saying cheap but anyway no 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 i i, I you, no you're not off base there's i am 99.99 percent sure uh, all the you the listeners in utah they're gonna they're gonna hang us both man but <laughs> pretty sure there's bighorn sheep there um yeah somewhere but, yeah in the state. yeah yeah somewhere yeah. in the state somewhere in the <laughs> state so anyway um so this was a guided hunt um which I have been on a guided hunt with Bradley when we were hunting with dogs, you know, for my mountain lion and for, yep. um, the, which was awesome and weird because I feel like the dogs did got to do all the work. Um, they did all the homework and it was, you know, like, I feel like, you know, it was super fun and rewarding, but it's almost like you could see like, you know, when it's like you have more skin in the game and you see everything kind of come to fruition. It's like, you know what? Um, all that hard work paid off. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different kind of feeling, but it was still a great feeling. But anyway, this was a guided hunt. Um, elk guide met with the guide, you know, he's, we thought, can I, can I like chime in for just a sec? Yeah. The thought of you going elk hunting with a guide is super bizarre to me, man. Like I just, I can't imagine maybe the guy didn't even know what he was getting into. Uh, like, I just, I know a lot of guides and, uh, there's a lot of guides that are like just absolute expert level hunters because they're in all sorts of different circumstances with different type of clients and different type of country. And, and so they're like on this different level in most cases, but I just can't imagine the bizarre premise of you being with a guide and how like some of those conversations went. Because guides are usually pretty much, you, you know, they're like a mentor. Hey, man, we got to do it this way. Let me, let me show you. Let me, let me, let's go up over here. Where and but then this guide, he gets the damn bugler as his client. How did that go? Well, he for number one, he don't know me from Adam. Mm -hmm. You know, he don't have social media. You, I don't think he watches YouTube. Um, he don't. You know, he he's he guides part time. Um, he's a school principal, full time job. Um, oh, really? Takes, Your guide was a full-time principal at a school? Yeah, school principal there, local. Wow. Huh. And uh, just a hell of a nice guy, a guy named Rick. And there was a part of the ranch that all the other guides didn't really know much about it. Like, 
Everything else, they're like, oh, yeah, they know every little nook and cranny and crevice, but not a lot of the guides know about that place. And it's a bigger area than, than, than a lot of the other guides get. And he's just like, yeah, he's like, they get, they let me just have, have my way over here. He's like, which is good because they don't really know how good it is. But um, anyway, he starts telling me and Mark this, that, and the other thing, like, okay, you know, this is how where the elk live. This is what they do. And he kind of showing us that kind of as we drive, I think it's like a 40 minute drive from the lodge to where we would hunt, you know, through the mountains. And, you know, kind of just giving us the lay of the land and the talk. And then he'll start kind of talk about hunting and instruction. And and he um he's like, Yeah, when we get when we get out there walking around during the hunt, he's like, What we're gonna do is like, I'm gonna have you like, I'm gonna time you and I'm gonna have you knock an arrow. Well, I'm going to have you range a target, knock an arrow, draw back and be ready to shoot. And you have to do this within eight seconds. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm playing along with it. I, I'm not there to disrespect anybody. I, you know, he don't know. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, like, clients feed him full of shit half the time. Anyway, I'm the world's greatest hunter, you know, or, or whatever, you know, you probably get a lot of blowhards. So I'm just kind of rolling along with it. Well, finally, Mark's had enough. <laughs> and he, Derek, how many goddamn elk have you shot i'm like well i'm not gonna i don't really say the numbers i don't throw numbers around but i have been this is my 33rd year of elk hunting and i've been successful over the years you know pretty successful um so you know i'm a I've, i'm an experienced elk hunter and rick rick he's like oh yeah good good you know and then conversation drifts and a little bit later he's like yeah i had a couple guys here a couple years ago because we told him he's like yeah we'll help break down the bowl and stuff he's like yeah i had a couple guys here a couple years ago and they said yeah when you get that elk we'll help you break it down and, and everything we'll help you pack it and he's like that's great and the guy shot an elk and and he starts starts cutting you know starts skinning it and and the two guys went and sat down in the shade and and finally, one of them got up and come over to him. He's like, hey, check out my knife. And he showed him his knife and and uh, it had his name on it. He's like, yeah, look, it's got my name on it. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a cool knife. He's like, hey, could you like cut a little meat with it and get it bloody for me? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Single bit. He's, he's like, I guess. So he cut a little, got a little blood. The guy said, thanks, man. Full went and sat back down in the shade and kept bullshitting with these buddy. But See, <laughs> that's, that's the thing, man, is, is people get so like, like that, that kind of stuff. You hear about that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, some dude posts some giant bowl. Oh yeah, I did this and I did that. And look at this, that like, that's probably what it was. That's right. probably what it was. And so that, that, I think that's where people get frustrated. Right. <laughs> so that's, it's actually pretty <laughs> hilarious for me. Yeah, it was whole, it was a hilarious story, and it's and it, it, the guy's jaded, right? He's like he's oh, yeah, heard all totally. he's heard all these stories from hunters, right? So I, I and I kind of I kind of had a, that idea anyway. I'm just like oh, we'll just we'll just see how it all unfolds. Once we start, you know, getting into some elk, he'll see that we know what we're doing. And uh, you know, as time went by, then you know, after after the set on day to about midday on day two he kind of figured out it's like okay these guys know what the hell they're doing so he kind of backed off and let us do our thing and and which was fun you know and we started you know doing calling out the way we like to do it and, um it was really fun but um so the the video that you have on that what what is that called like utah madness or something yeah 
yeah. um, the YouTube show on, on the Phelps Game Calls YouTube channel. Um, what, what's, what, I, I guess my big takeaway from that, God, I'm like stuttering a lot tonight, dude. Um, my big takeaway from that was there was like this sense of there was a, a lot of action. But the elk, I, I think that people get the, they're under this misunderstanding that if you go to some ranch, you know, some outfitting company that has this private land or whatever, the elk just come in on a string like it's, uh, you know, Primo's hunting videos from the 1995 kind of thing. And and that that was not the case. Like you were getting responses left and right and these, these elk are just bugling their heads off or whatever, but they were tricky. Like they were not giving you opportunities. And oh. it, it took a while. And that's what I want to kind of talk about a little bit. Oh yeah. They were, they were, they were tough. Like the, the ones we left in Idaho on that, in that special unit, like hands down, way easier to call it. Uh, these ones, they were tricky. And the one problem, there was just, there was tons of bulls and like you'd hear big ones. Well, you'd, a lot of times there were little ones in between the big ones and you, and you mm-hmm. spook spook off the big ones but uh even at that like even they didn't just like walk around you know throwing caution to the wind man they use their nose just like normal elk do they they stayed brushed up right up until the you know they'd come and brush up and peek out of the brush i mean it wasn't a gimme at all so we hunted our and now there's there's that same takeaway just because you got this good hunt doesn't mean you don't have to work hard we worked hard um I do think, you know, bless his, bless his heart, Rick, if, if he would have just like not blew his calls and just let us do what we do and then stuck and kind of hung back, I feel like we would have, we'd have done a little better on the calling, but, but that's okay. I was, mean, um, was he surprised when you started, you know, pulling out your bugle and, and making vocalizations or whatever? Um, was he like blown away that you can call that good? What was his reaction when you started calling elk? I guess is a better question. Well, I didn't really call much at all. Like I, I bugled a couple times, but um, for the most part, Mark did it. And Mark's a fantastic caller mm-hmm. and, and really knows, you know, how to call elk. You know, it's not just, he sounds good. He, he knows, you know, how to do it. But uh, like after the, like he heard Mark call for the first, you know, that first evening we hunted, he's like, man, that calling's really good. Like, he was pretty impressed. So let, let's let's pause there. Well, not pause, but like kind of bookmark right there for a minute. Um, so thus far into your September of last year, you've gone to this really good, hard to draw unit. And then you went to this, uh, this outfitting service that had the private land, 230,000 whatever acres. Um, was, did the way you approached... Once you've located, well, no, I don't want to say located. Once you, how did you locate elk uh, between those two units? First of all, sorry, I, I, I'm I'm all over the place, man. I'm, I apologize, but how did you locate them? Uh, same way we all say is the same plan we run in Wyoming or Montana or or North Idaho, or wherever. I mean, we're bugling, we're call calling, we're just so we're picking calls and then traveling, like walking. Uh, the, the the first thing that I like to cover with when it comes to the school of September, because I think what, what happens a lot of times is people listen to these episodes and uh, they re-listen to them and re-listen to them, but it's it's the starting point from, be, and, and this is just purely based on messages I've got, uh, you know, emails and whatnot. 
um, where people get a little bit hung up on is the locating via bugle and and how that like people get out there and they're like okay now what i'm out in the woods i think i'm pretty sure there's elk around i could see some fresh sign maybe there's a rub over there um but what do i do on the bugle i you know everybody talks about this locator bugle but what does that sound like do you have your bugle tube handy I do. I do. And, and so like, that's you're, you've, you've hunted from super crowded public land elk units to, uh, highly sought after, you know, elk tags in, you know, limited entry units to private, private ranch outfitting type, you know, arenas. Um, can you give us the, what you do when you're out there to locate elk, give us the bugle that you're using. So people can like listen to that on playback. And, and cause I, I think that that was a critical point in my elk hunting career is where I learned how to locate elk via a bugle and you do it better than anybody I know. So my first bugle, well, the first call sound I usually make depending on the hunt and time, um, will usually be a couple cow calls. Just a couple cow calls. Mm-hmm. Quiet. Just in case I got some elk close by to me. Are, I don't your, want, like, are, are your cow calls, sorry to cut you off, man, but I, I really want to dial this stuff in. Are your cow calls, the way you just did those, um, they're a bit fast. They're, they're a little bit, uh, they're pretty, they're pretty spunky. Is that usually what you do? Or is it, is it like a slower or, no. or like explain that? No, I, this, this is what I make. So a cow okay. calf. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't get fancy. I don't do like hyper hot, crazy hyper hot shit. You know, um, I just do just some standard non-fancy cow calls. Something you might hear, you know, elk doing as they're feeding or whatever. Um, but I'll do it kind of quiet because I don't want to like startle any elk close by to where they're like, what the hell is that? And I oh, there's a guy right there. I want them to like have to like, I think I heard an elk and maybe thump around a little bit or make some noise or, or answer. Um, you know, maybe that's all in my head, but that's just, that's what, I'm, that's what's in my head is uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And then my next call is going to be just a locator bugle. If I don't hear anything, um, well, I'll, I'll make a couple of louder calls. make a couple a little bit louder okay. a little longer calls and then i let that set and those are going to be more long range that way if a bull's you know a few hundred yards away across the canyon he'll hear that do you ever and, send do you ever send the cow calls through your bugle tube oh yeah if if it's really big country and it's like man i really want them to talk to my cow call i'll i'll cow call through my bugle tube but i won't seal my lips on it because if you seal your lips it'll sound like kind of too much note articulation, kind of elephanty. Sure. Um, sure. Not even a word. I made that up. No, elephanty is a word. I, I uh, just found it in uh, Wikipedia. Okay. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I found it. Hey, well, um, oh, I leave, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't see on my lips. I leave a gap on each side of my lips. I'm just kind of doing the cow call into my tube to where it's going to amplify and direct it in a certain direction. Okay. Can were you going to make another call there, or can I ask you a question? I can, I can. I'll do it real quick. Okay. 
Oh yeah, that so that's a big difference between like a bugle because you you had that escape outside your lips. That uh, okay, that makes sense. So for those of you listening, I, if if like let's say you're brand new to this, you don't know the difference. So he didn't seal around the bugle tube there. It it was just kind of letting the bugle tube, um, blow that out on a what is the word? Blow it out is not the right word, dude. Press my lips on it. And I, and I projected into the tube, but I let a little the air escape because these tubes have so much um, uh, back pressure. It'll, it'll make it sound like, I'll just do it wrong. I'll, I'll see on my left. Yeah, do, do that. It just, it changes the tone. It makes it kind of sound fluty or something. Fake. No, and, and, and I think that that's important because you got to remember that the elk do this for a living. So they know if something's awry. You know, and and when when you seal the the lips around the tube like you you did on that second uh, demonstration there, it does it doesn't sound natural. Where the no. first one where you didn't seal the lips, can you do that one again real quick? See that sounds that sounds way more natural. So I was I was. Uh, you know, and I've, I've not to make anybody roll their eyes, but we, we live right here in elk country. I've got elk on my land. And when we were out deer hunting, uh, whitetail hunting, I took my girls out on the land here. We had a herd of elk that uh, were kind of working their way down to the winter range, which happens to be my property um, uh, this last year. And they would start talking to each other. And that's exactly what it sounded like when you had the unsealed bugle tube pulled up or no bugle tube at all. That's exactly what they sounded like. And, and my daughters and I, we had a ball just sitting and listening to them talk to each other because we could see them down in this meadow that's off uh, kind of across the highway from our land here. Um, so the, the, the one thing I want to back up, Dirk, uh, where, where you start determining where you're going to start doing this location stuff, because we haven't even gotten to the locator bugle yet, but you're, you're, you've parked the truck, right? You've you've gotten out. You've gotten all your gear on. You're you're moving into the elk country where you think elk are at. What, at what point when you're out there and you're looking around and you're trying to get a sense as to where there might be some elk hold up or or uh, you know hunkered down on a you know bedding area or whatnot, depending on the time of day. Um, at what point do you determine? Okay, here is where I'm going to start making my first calls from the truck. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, yeah. What, at what point do you start calling? Yeah. Well, usually, I'll get out of the truck, and before I take a pee, before I do anything, I'll get out of the truck quietly. I'll walk away from the truck. That way I don't hear the, the exhaust making the little ting, ting, ting sound or any gurgles out of the, the coolant system or whatever. And I'll walk over away from the truck, and I'll make some calls right at the truck because – I don't want to get out of the truck and be banging around and making a bunch of noise and have elk right there. I mean, I don't know how many times over the years that I've had bulls right by the truck. Um, so I want to make sure that we, there's no elk by the truck before we start making a bunch of noise. So I'll do that right at the truck. And then if nothing answers, like, okay, grab our stuff and let's start walking. And then, you know, I'll have a predetermined area where I want to go. You know, let's say, I've done my e-scouting or maybe I've hunted the place before. Um, I'm going to walk out this ridge and then start, um, start calling. And if you're on the ridge across 
across the way from me. If you're just if you're a tree stand guy or somebody that doesn't call, um, and you're sitting across the on another ridge across the the drainage, and you listen, you might say, "Geez, Louise, listen to that idiot over there walking along. He's bugling way too much." Now, I I bugle quite a bit, but it's not without. I bugle with purpose, right? Yeah. It's just like taking an old fishing rod up to the trout stream and with a with a spinner on it, right? There's big rocks out in the river. Um, you, you don't just cast indiscriminately into the water and hope something bites, right? You're casting between the likely places you're going to find a trout. Well, behind that little that rock over there, there's a little there's a little eddy. Well, that's probably where a trout is resting and laying and waiting for some food. So you throw your your meps right behind that rock and bam, you got a fish. Same with bugling, you know, where, where, you know, likely see a bull. Like I don't want to stand in the middle of a clear cut of a 2000 acres clear cut and bugle. It's probably not super effective. Number one, if there are elk there, like let's say it's first light, they're going to have me pinned down. They're going to see me, right? They're going to know, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm standing over there. You have no move to make. So you have to, you have to be smart and you have to, to bugle into likely places. So, um, you know, you're bugling, let's say you're, you're traveling from the ridge top, you know, you're bugling down into the drainage, you know, there's little finger ridges, little base or little, uh, little, um, um, shoot, little, little draws. Uh, draws and, and there's little, uh, benches and stuff there where elk are going to hang out and you're going to, you're going to bugle into those, but there, sometimes you bugle and you can kind of hear how far your, your, calls you know echo around it's like well like my calls penetrated pretty good here or you're like mm, i don't think i got it over down into that next little behind that little finger ridge you got to think you know a finger ridge will block your sound so you have to you may have to walk 100 yards to get that direct line down into a down into a draw or down behind another the next ridge or whatever so you may bugle every 100 yards for a quarter mile you may not, you only maybe you go once in a quarter mile, just depending on the terrain and how the, your sound travels. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, man, uh, you're, you're covering country. You're, you're maybe ridge running between, you know, you're working around a drainage, you're going down a ridge, you're doing whatever. And suddenly you notice something that inspires you to bugle right there. What does that look like to you? Um, I'm always looking for just likely places where elk are going to be. So I'm going along and I'll see, let's say, oh, look across, look across this draw over here. There's kind of a little bit of a knob with a saddle um, with a North face on it. Like that tells me elk, that's a really likely place for elk to be. They like North faces, especially, you know, from, you know, 10 o'clock on to the midday through the midday hours. There's a lot more shade there. Um, they like to, they like to bed in saddles. They like to bed on little knolls. Just, just kind of depends. Um, but as soon as I see like a piece of topography that looks like, Oh, that place is going to hold elk. I'm bugling there. Um, let's say there's fresh elk tracks everywhere and, and P marks. Oh, definitely going to bugle right there. But just because there's fresh tracks and P doesn't mean I'm going to stay in that spot all day long. If nothing answers, move on because Whenever, that could have been done in the middle of the night or the, the evening before, and that pee doesn't evaporate overnight. I mean, those elk could be two, three miles away from you and not even in ear, earshot. So I'm going to keep moving until I get a response. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, a lot of folks do it a different way. 
they might kind of, you know, they may just kind of settle in there and like do some, some cold calling for the day, you know, and which it's not wrong, but, um, sometimes I, I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of like a gambler, right? <laughs> if I ain't winning, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing more dice and putting more chips on the table. You got to know um, when to hold them and when to fold them. Yeah. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep moving until I get, get a bite. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I've, I've played that game. Now, if there's, let's say I've been, been out there for three days and I'm just not hearing any bugles, but the sign is there. I'm going to slow down and spend some time in those areas and give us, give them some time for it to work, you know, do some cold calling and then set up and, and see if something comes in, you know, quietly, you know, something that's non-vocal just wants to come in and check me out, which that works too. Um, but a lot of times it's hard because they want to come in downwind or they want to pick, it's easy to pick you off. You know, they're on high alert coming in to check you out. Whereas mm-hmm. if you can pick bugle and have them come in, you know, with their eyes rolled back, that they're a lot, they let their defenses down. They're a lot, a lot less wary. Do you ever get this sense that, um, because you've been doing this for so long, what, what I try to do is, well, I don't want to go down that road. Do you ever get the sense that uh, there is like this gut feeling you have where it's like, okay, I know that this is a spot where I need to send out a bugle. Like, I think what I'm trying to get at is I think that there's a lot of new hunters out there that maybe don't have several years of, of this feeling and this this experience to understand that it makes sense in your gut to start calling for elk at this spot. And and I don't, I don't even know if I'm making any sense, man, but um, can you speak to that uh, in terms of given, given a brand new hunter that has like really never, maybe they've spent a year or two or this is their first season. What does it take to get that gut feeling, that sense, that natural primal instinct as to, okay, I know there's going to be elk around here. Here's where I start working on them. That, that just takes boot leather and time in the woods. Um, every, you know, a lot of people want the fast track, like, okay, well just tell me what it is. Like it's really hard to explain. You can't, it's almost like something you can't explain other than through years of experience, even if it's two or three years, let's say like two or three years of pursuing elk. And it's like, okay, this is, this is the kind of an area I've ran into elk before. Um, this looks like an area, or I have been in this very same area before and I've had responses. Um, and you'll, and you'll start getting, you'll start getting those feels. And I know you've, you probably get those feels too, but, but, uh, but like when I'm driving along, I'll be driving. I don't care. If summertime, we'll be driving on a vacation somewhere. We were in Hawaii. <laughs> we, my, in Hawaii, I'm like, oh my God, look at that ridge over there. See how it does this? And I'm trying to p- explain it to her. I'm like, if we were in elk country, there would be elk right there in September. I, I can guarantee you there would be elk there, you know, and I'm kind of breaking it down and showing her all the little things. And, and, but I think well, that just kind of, like, you, 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 after you have had responses and if you're taking special note, you know, and you're, you know, and remembering like you start connecting like the kind of places you're going to find out. Interestingly. Um, yeah. That, that time where you and I did that little bear hunt, remember, you remember bear oh, yeah. hunting up here. Um, oh, yeah. There was that road that we drove down 
where I've driven by that a million times. I've actually had a few uh, pretty good elk encounters up there. Uh, but but it was the other side of the road where we're driving up and you're like, man, look at that ridge over there. That's where you need to put a camera. And maybe maybe that's where you put a salt lick on a camera in early summer so you get an idea for where the cows are at, you know, and, and hike it in there and, and look over there. And what's what's interesting is is like obviously you're a way better elk hunter than I am, man. Uh, but I have been doing it long enough to where every time I've driven that road, which has been a many a times, this is a dirt road, like almost logging road kind of status thing out in the back country here in North Idaho. Uh, and I've always looked over there and I've thought, man, I need to figure out a way to get over onto that ridge without having to drop down into this giant freaking drainage that was like the hellhole from hell. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I found, which by the way, uh, side note, I found, I found a way to get in there. Um, so not that I, not, not that I wouldn't drop down that and go back up the other side. Cause it, if you remember, it was super steep, super brushy it's, and way, way, way down. Like, yeah. you know, it, it was a, it was a big deal. Uh, but anyway, it was just interesting that like, I've always pondered that spot over there that you could see off to the left of the road where I've always hunted off to the right. And then I take you up there who's never been on that road before and you look over there and you're like, dude, that is where you should be. That's that's where a focus should be. And oh, yeah. and so that's the instinct that I'm talking about. So that and I, I guess um the emphasis on on this part of the conversation is really there there is there is learning stuff that you could learn on a podcast here, and then there's experience that leads to instinct that you guys are going to get, and that that comes from years of experience or time in the field. You know, if you, if you're one of those people that like, you know, you buy an elk tag, and you go out one or two Saturdays of a September, it's going to take you a long time to develop that instinct. But if you're somebody that is in a position that take to take a week or ten days. That, that week or 10 days is going to bode very well for your instinctual uh, side of it, uh, you know, in, in the future. And so I don't want to spend too much time on that because I want to get back to this locating thing. But yeah. um, I, th- I I think that that's something that we've just never really covered on the School of September is this the, the instinctual side to it that I think really plays into a lot of the success of the experienced folks out there. Because th- that that is the thing where it's like you and I could be talking, but we don't know what somebody who's never hunted elk before, we don't know what they don't know. And and so th- th- the instinctual side is super important, and I, I think that it is downplayed a lot uh, on, on a lot of these discussions where people don't really kind of hit on that side of it, where, where there is this just gut feeling where you, and, and I've watched it from a new hunter that I've mentored, where I, I've I've watched them go from somebody who was totally clueless in the woods to all of a sudden now they have this instinctual feeling as to where they're going to find game, and and it doesn't matter if it's elk or deer or moose or whatever, they're, they they develop this instinct and that is only something that can be taught through experience. So anyway, yeah. So okay, let's say that that ridge I was just referring to where you uh, where you kind of told me that that'd be a great place to check out. You're out there. And you've thrown out a couple of cow calls. You haven't. Heard, you didn't get a response on the cow calls that you you were demonstrating earlier. What's the next step from there? Okay, the next step from the bugle. I'm just going to give a 
uh, non-threatening, just a, a locator bugle. Um, just I'm trying to locate an elk. Okay. So that that like one two note kind of light non non aggressive non super emotional bugle is is your first step. Yep. And how long after you've let that bugle? I always wonder this. Like, how long do I give it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, just launch this uh, located bugle. I, I do the exact same bugle you just did there, other than you sound better. And um, and then I stand there, and I'm like, okay, how long do I give it before it's time to either send out another one or move on? So I always like to say three to five minutes. But sometimes I feel like I don't even give it that long. I don't really, I don't really time it, but um, it's probably closer to three minutes than five minutes. Mm-hmm. And probably within 30 seconds to a minute, like I'm, I feel like usually if you hear a bull answer, it's going to be within 30 seconds. Sure. And then if I don't hear something within 30 seconds, I'll probably do this. A couple more cow calls. Okay. In case they weren't paying attention before, now they've heard a bull that like kind of, oh, hey, there's a bull over there. Oh, he's got cows. Maybe maybe I should pay attention to that, right? Maybe the, maybe that elk's going to start paying attention to what I'm saying now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm wait my three minutes let's say and then my next bugle it's gonna be a little different it's gonna have a little more aggression to it and i'm gonna throw a couple grunts at the end okay and and the reason i do this i mean and i tell people like Especially, you know, the guys like, man, I just can't grunt or chuckle. I'm just not good at it. I'm like, well, you don't have to to kill elk. But I will say, there's been over the years, there's there have been bulls that they would not answer unless I chuckled or be or grunted yes. or whatever. Yes. Uh, and it's like I, I'll do a I'll, I'll do a clean one, a clean bugle, and nothing. But then I do one with the chuckles, and they're just like, oh yeah, they eat that right back up, and then. Typically, they're ones that like to chuckle a lot, or, or yes. Or, so, um, so I always I always throw that in there because you never know. You might have one of those guys. You might have a a grunter, chuckler guy over there that wants to hear it. So that is so interesting. You said that, man. Because I and again, I don't know if I've ever covered this on School of September, but there is uh, who was it I was talking to that was like, oh, you don't never chuckle, never grunt, kind of thing. Uh, oh, Chris. What was that? Was oh, is it probably Joel? I think it was Joel. He doesn't like the chuckles and grunts. No. And 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 I am not. I certainly I'm not saying. Did you see uh, our buddy Joel there? He was on Joe Rogan, man. I know. Can you, Can believe, you believe that? that? What the yeah. hell? He's like going to be too big for his britches. He's never going to come on my show again now. I know. We're just we're just like peons now. Uh, I mean, right. Yeah. Is- <laughs> Gosh, we're just uh, over here. You know the lowly. You know, folks that uh, I, I've always loved having Joel on the on the podcast, and so no, I, I'm totally kidding. He probably would because he's just a he's just a you know salt of the earth kind of dude anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, super cool dude. But yeah, congrats to him for getting on on Rogan, man. That's that's a big deal. But cool. I I do think I think he is the one that was saying he never chuckles and grunts, and um, you know that works for him. 
But uh, I I tend to kind of lean towards what you were just saying there, where I have stood there at the same exact spot and I've let out a few locator bugles. I haven't done any chuckles or grunts, and then all of a sudden, I'll I'll I won't even bugle before it. I'll just start like I have my I don't have a I don't have a read, but I kind of learned. My buddy Steve Johnson taught me this little trick, um, and he calls it a lot of elk. But it's just more of like a just a casual with, with my voice, just like that. And all of a sudden, this this bull will start bugling and chuckling back at me. And he and he it, like the the bull that I was telling you about uh, from from last season, where I stuck that bull and then my truck burned down to the ground after that. When I came back to get him, because I liver hit him, I couldn't find yeah. him that night. Um. That bull didn't bugle at all. All he did was chuckle, and it was yeah. real casual like that. It's just a, and I could hear his voice, and I could yeah. hear him breathing, and that's all he did. Yeah, and, and, and he and he came in, and but the, the, what I'm saying is, for ten minutes before that, I let out three or four different just locator bugle kind of things, like like exactly what you were doing. He didn't make a peep. Until I chuckled. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's you, every now and then you'll find one like that for whatever reason that they're a, a grunt or chuckle guy that just, that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, so, so oh, okay. Um, let's, let's kind of escalate that then for a sec. Uh, you okay on time, man? Yeah. Okay. I've all the time in the world. All right, brother. I, I, I promise I won't keep you too long because we're going a little long here, but, um, Okay, you 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 let out that locator bugle. Can you can you do the locator bugle again for us, just one more time? Yeah. And then, so you do that, and you stand there, and within fifteen twenty seconds, you get like an identical bugle back, which is, hey, I'm over here, kind of thing. He's not being aggressive. He's not like super pissed. Just hey, I'm over here. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. So yeah. at, at that point, what, what is kind of like, like, what's your, what's your, um, your game plan at that point? What, what is a, what is the term I'm looking for? What's the next step? What's the playbook that you would run off of a bugle that comes back at you? That's real similar to that locator. So I usually like to have three responses before I go after a bull just because a lot of times it takes me three times of him calling for me to kind of pinpoint where he's at. Maybe even more if it's a faint call, but, um, but if I can hear him pretty good, um, you know, within three calls, it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure he's over on that ridge there. So I pull out my, um, phone and I get on my Onyx, you know, and you can do this with whatever mapping software you got. But I get on the um, satellite imagery, and I start looking. It's like, okay, I'm right here. I'm looking over that way. You know, you put it on the little arrow, so wherever you point your phone is what you're looking at on the map, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, there's that big rock over there. There's that big glade or a clear cut, whatever, you know, landmarks. You find your landmarks. It's like, okay, I think it was over there by that spot, okay? So then, I'm, then I... I hit the the um, the topo layer. Yep. Up. 
if you guys are on Onyx, you just hit it. You could do the. You can even do the hybrid where it's, uh, you know, the hybrid between the high, the the topo and the and the regular satellite imagery. Right. I don't usually do on the second part here. I usually don't do the the hybrid. I'll just do the topo. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice clean ridges and lines. It's very easy to see. It's like okay, he's over there. What's the country look like? Okay. Oh yeah. Okay, I can see. You know. Oh, there's a ridge right over there, and there's there's a saddle. It goes super super steep, and then it kind of then it kind of um, benches off, and then there's a little saddle there. And it looks like that's about where that bull's at. Okay, cool. Now, what time of day is it? Well, let's say it's eleven o'clock. So now, I make a mark right right where I think he's at. I make a I make a waypoint, and then I go back to my aerial or my satellite imagery and then i start looking at the forest there i'm looking at and i look at my compass and it's okay which way is north facing okay all right this is north facing there okay well that's that makes sense he's on the north face of that that, that ridge okay now right right around where that uh, mark is okay where are the trees the most mature and you can usually tell you know at least in in the northwest the, the larger, more mature trees on those satellite imagery, you can just tell they're, they're bigger, you know, darker colored. Yeah. And I look for the cluster of the darkest, timber, the darkest timber closest to that little terrain feature that I put a waypoint on. And then, then I look, and then as long as it's on the north face, it's like, okay, right there, bam. And you can usually like even fine tune a little bit, like you'll see like, a little bit of a little more spacing on your topographical lines there. Maybe it won't be a real flat there. Maybe it's a, a steeper hillside, but there's just a little, a, the slightest gap, wider gap on your, on your topo lines. Okay. okay. That's, that's where I'm putting my mark that he's right in that dark timber, right in that spot. Bam. I don't make another call. Now I hike over there and I get as close as I can to that spot without calling. And I don't make, I don't worry about noise at all for, for 90% of the way over there. I'm just, I'm just covering country. I just got to get there. Right. As quick as I can. Now on your approach, Dirk, when, when you've, okay, you've determined he's, you know, laid up on that bench in the dark timber or something like that. Um, what, what kind of precautions are you taking? Yeah. Cause you, you said you don't, and I'm the same with you. I, I, I don't care about the sound. Um, I, I care about like wind and scent and, and like, what kind of precautions are you taking as you make that approach? I'm going to try to get on the same topo line that he's on. So I'm looking at my topo lines. I want to get over there and get on that same topo line as he is. And then, of course, I'm watching wind, right? I, I want to make sure the wind's good um, in my favor. Or if I'm on that topo line, you know, wind usually goes up and it usually goes down. Sometimes it swirls sideways, whatever. But at times it's predominantly up or down. So I want to come in on that on that same contour line as him that way in case the wind changes um if it's been blowing steadily downhill or steadily uphill and if it changes and blows down i'm still good because i'm still on that same line as him i'm not okay. above him but i want to come in and get as close as i can and whenever i start thinking i'll say okay i'm about 200 yards 300 yards out i'm gonna start slowing down and at 200 yards i'm gonna start slowing down quite a bit more and now i'm watching and looking for for places to set up like Okay, I'm looking for I'm looking ahead towards where that bull is. And it's like, okay, imagine where he's at 
I imagine how, where he's going to come from, what kind of obstacles are in his way. So, oh, well, right over here, there's a giant blowdown. Okay, I'm 100% not going to stand behind that blo giant blowdown. I don't care if that giant blowdown's 50 yards from me. I'm going to get, I try, I try to get away from giant blowdowns that have big, huge limbs. Because 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 of the time when bulls come in, they're going to walk right up behind that stupid blowdown and look through those limbs and try to see you. I don't know how many times I've had that screw me to where I can't get a shot. Yeah. yeah, that happened to me last year, man. Every time. So as soon as I see a blowdown, I'm like, okay, I got to get past that and get past the blowdown and then I'll start reassessing. So I want that bull to have to come super close to me, like 30 yards before he can see me. So where's the hang up spot going to be? Okay, where's he going to come and where's he going to stop? Let's say he walks the whole way and then stops to see where I'm at. So the hang up spot, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I need mm -hmm. and 20, 30 yards of that hang up spot. So I'll, I'll identify that spot. I'll do some calling. I'll get him going. Once he starts replying. Wait, wait, what, what do you mean? You're going to do what kind of calling right there? Oh, we have to slow down, slow down boss. Okay. So <laughs> now that I'm, now that I'm inside of 200 yards, I'd like, and, and honestly, I like to get super close. Um, back to that gut feeling like, okay, I see the mark on the map. Now, now it's like, how, how much faith do I have on my mark on the map? Right. Mm -hmm. Is he right there or is he in a little different spot? So I start getting closer and closer to that mark. And I'm like, okay, I get, I just get this feeling like I'm going to bust this thing out of here any second. I need to like not go any further. Yeah. And I need to have my spot picked out to set up within that, within that area. Right. Mm -hmm. So once I determine that, then it's time for my call. And then we're going to go right back to that real quiet cow call. And just kind of let it sit for a little bit. Just like two now, little, two little squeaks. Like you just did the quietest that you can make. Because remember, I don't know exactly where he is. I may have mis misestimated and he might be 50 yards away, just laying there and he didn't mm -hmm. hear me walk. Cause that last little bit, as I'm picking my spot, I'm going to slow down a lot and get real quiet. I don't want to hear Like once I'm under that 200 yards, I don't want him, him hearing me stomping through the brush. Okay. And I start real quietly. I don't want him to know I'm there until it's time to let him know I'm there. So very quiet. And you'll be surprised. Sometimes it'll be just right there, like 50, 50 yards away. Yeah. Or he might be quite a ways further. Um. So I'm going to do that quiet cow call. Then I'll wait. I will probably wait three minutes to five minutes, definitely closer to, to, to three to five, probably even five and make another louder one. Like trying to get his attention, like a, a pretty loud one. Mm -hmm. I really want him to vocalize, to give up, give up where he's at. See if I'm even in the right zip code or not. Or if even, he's even still there. And if he doesn't answer, I might pick up a big stick and start rubbing, you know, start raking a tree with it. But I want Do him you to have, is there, is there a video you could point the listeners to where it really demonstrates the, uh, you know, um, rubbing a tree? 
Um, I don't, I don't know because you do that a lot, and and I I kind of learned that from you, and it it dude it works, man. You've got to you've got to do that. Um, and, and so I I've just I can't. There's one I'm thinking of, but I I don't know what video it is. Yeah, I'm not sure which video. But. Okay, okay. Anyway, beside the point. So you you start raking a tree. Yeah, pick up the biggest stick you can find, and that you can pick up and manhandle with one hand. Mm-hmm. and breaking a tree and i'll do that for 30 seconds or something if i don't hear nothing then i'll i'll, I'll rip a bugle and i'm not going to give a nice guy bugle on it but i'm not going to give like the king of the mountain bugle either i'm just going to give like a a real announcing bugle like hey what's up i'm here where you at and it'll sound something like this oh just short and sweet like that huh short short one but it's not like it's not like full-on yeah nasty yeah not like, not super aggressive but not 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 the locator either like that in between right okay like, i'm trying to tell him like hey i'm here i heard you over here if you got cows i'm gonna come take them probably <laughs> um i'm gonna go ahead and give you the chance to leave and um or maybe i'll just come over and leave your bed <laughs> <laughs> but I, want, I just like I don't know, and just kind of an announcing type bugle. And sometimes, like North Idaho, especially, I just don't have a lot of luck cow calling, try getting bulls to answer. Which you would think it'd be opposite, since there's no elk, hardly any elk in a lot of spots. Yeah, <laughs> be like, oh my God, there's a cow bugle bugle. Right? Gonna- All of a sudden, he's Justin Bieber uh, coming yeah. at you. But I, I, I'm the same way, man. North Idaho, I don't, I don't get. A- I, I I used to back in like 2014 ish. I, I used to get a lot of bugles off of cow calls, but I just don't anymore. And I don't hear cows calling too much. I don't. I don't hear a lot of. But it seems like the bigger herds of elk that you're around, the more cow calling you hear. But mm-hmm. a lot of the places I'm at, you know, a herd of elk is four. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Four. They just don't talk that much. The cows don't talk that much, from my experience. There, there's not any reason for them when they're when they're that small of a group. There's not, you know, they they all know where each other's at. Right. The wolves I, don't help. Go ahead. Right. I think they don't want to do a lot of unnecessary calling when there's wolves. You know. Yeah. Possibly. Yep. Um. So anyway, I'm hoping he's going to bugle at that one, and a lot of times he will. He'll answer, and it's like okay, and a lot of times he'll sound the kind of the same. They'll be like, hey, what do you think you're doing over there? So when he answers, then I'll I'll escalate. And I'll I'll do a really mean, nasty sounding bugle that lets him know hundred percent my intentions that I'm gonna come over there, whip his ass, and take all of his cows. And it's gonna sound something like this. <laughs> scream and i'm gonna blow my bugle as hard as i possibly can i want the listeners to note uh dirk can you do that again here in just a sec but i i want them to note it's not the volume that got me it's the emotion behind it like you could tell by that sound that you made that you're like you're pissed yeah i'm I'm trying I'm trying not to like overly cuss on this episode because I want like even the younger new elk hunters to be able to listen to it. But um, you're effing pissed, and and that's kind of what it sounded like. And so, can, can you do that one again? 
Yeah, you could see the emotion that was behind that bugle. Like that emotion is what elk respond to, man. And and what excites me about that, Dirk, is when when you when you let out a bugle like that, man. Uh, that that freaking bull, he's gonna respond just like that, and it's gonna rock your world because he's pissed too. And and you you just kind of what, what I, I'm getting too excited. Let me let me slow down. Let me slow down. <laughs> Because that that bull, man, that I don't know who somebody calls that like a. It's not a roundup bugle. Uh, it's not, and it's not really a challenge. I don't know what what. There's a million different names for it, but it's the emotion behind it. And that bull, he's going to be laying there or standing there, or whatever. He's going to hear that, and it is just going to rub him the wrong way that somebody is up in his shit like that, and he's going to come after him. And sometimes it happens way fast. The, I I did that, that. I don't remember if it was uh, two, three years ago. I the, this exact process worked so well for me. The, the the exact thing that Dirk is laying out here, guys. Where I started with this locator, and 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 a couple of cow calls or whatnot. I this this elk. Uh, he's he's I don't know five hundred yards off. I hear him. He bugles back. I work my way up. I'm watching my wind. I get on his linear, le- or I'm sorry, his uh, the the elevation level that he's on, that same line, and and I I let off uh, that that next bugle. He doesn't say anything, so I get a little bit more aggressive. All of a sudden, the cows start mewing like crazy, and this bull rips this giant, freaking nasty, gnarly, scary, earth shattering bugle back at me, just like that one that Dirk just did. And, and, and the, the problem with it was, it was like within 10 seconds, this sucker was on top of me within 20 yards, within 10 yards, maybe. And, and he's right on top of me. I couldn't even knock an arrow fast enough. And he gets his antlers hung up in the alder brush and I'm like, okay, good. Uh, so, so I'm trying to knock an arrow as fast as I can. And, and what do I do? I get the, I get the damn arrow or I mean my bow caught up in the camera that's on my shoulder strap and I can't, I can't get it out of there. Right. And so <laughs> by the time this guy, he realizes it, he's out of there, man. But if I would have been uh, a little bit better prepared or if I wouldn't have got caught up in the camera, that would have been a dead bull. But that, that emotion that you just put into that bugle is, is what's so powerful on a mountain. And that's what that just elicits a response out of an elk uh, that, that is unlike anything else you've ever hunted on the freaking face of this planet. And it just rocks your world. I, I, I love that stuff, man. Yeah. And like you say, you know, there, Sometimes those bulls, you'll hear, you'll hear them get out of their bed and start the breath. You'll hear trees and stuff snapping. You can hear him running, like coming. Um, sometimes they'll they'll yeah. run right. Um, other times they'll come halfway and then they'll rub a tree. They'll beat up a tree for twenty minutes. And every time he 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 beats a tree, well, I beat a tree too. I'm, I'm raking too. And every time he stops and bugles, I just mash him again with another one of those those. I don't even. I barely let him open his mouth, and I bugle right over the top of him. And so, what? And then that happens like three or four times within that fifteen-minute period, twenty-minute period, maybe. Uh, but usually twenty minutes—that's too long. Probably fifteen at the max. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, at that point, he's either he he gets worked up enough courage or worked himself up into enough of a rage that he comes in, or he turns around and grabs those cows and gets the heck out of Dodge. The cut him off. Can you, can you describe the cutting him off a little bit? 
be, because I don't want to br- I don't want to brush over that because nothing pisses a bull off more than when you just cut him right off when he's bugling back at you. I think it's just like you know hum- humans when when you're having a discussion with somebody, especially if you're having an argument, and every time you try to say something, they talk right over the top of you. Like yeah. Every, well, what about well? You know, they, they talk right over the top, and you you get you get mad. It's frustrating, right? As a human, it's frustrating. And for an elk, it's frustrating too. So just as soon as he starts to bugle, I bugle right over the top of him. I, and I do that same nasty, nasty bugle um, right over the top of him every time he opens his mouth. That's pretty rude. Pretty it's rude, super, Dirk. And it's super rude, you know. Jerk. <laughs> you, you know, Dusty didn't call me jerk. <laughs> jerk Durham. <laughs> um, so the... I think there's two things that happen at that point where it's like you cut him off. You've, you've done, you've plump pissed him off, right? He's either going to come in or he's going to kind of meander off a little bit and decide, you know what? This isn't worth it. Uh, I, I want to protect my cows. Uh, I want to, let's talk about that second scenario for just a minute uh, with like your experience. Let's say he gets hung up and, and you cut him off and everything's going great until all of a sudden, Something just turns and you know for a fact that it's not it's not the wind. He didn't wind you, but he's unsure. And and he's like, okay, I do not want to fight this guy. I, I don't want to go in. I don't even want to see him. So he kind of hangs up a little bit. And maybe he because this I'm asking for a specific reason. This exact scenario happened to me. I thought for sure this bull was coming in. And and I can hear him coming, but all of a sudden he he decided he changed his mind right there at the last minute, and he goes kind of back over the knob of this hill, drops down on the other side, and does this big roundup type kind of style bugle. Who who is it that calls them roundup bugles? I I don't ever remember. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Somebody does, but the idea is there. He's like calling all his cows, and uh, you guys, you ladies, get over here. We're moving out. Um. That's what it sounded like to me, and that's kind of what happened is the cows all went that direction because I can hear them. Uh, Again, North Idaho, real super brushy, uh, so I couldn't exactly see what was going on. But that that bull kind of moved over that hill, and but he's still bugling back. He's still responding, but he's not necessarily moving away, and he's not necessarily getting any closer. Do you have any uh, like advice as to how to approach that that bull? You ever? Have you ever seen that movie, Last of the Mohicans? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. When he's got that musket and he's running through the woods, jumping over windfalls and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you need to do. With your bow? But no. Put your your arrow away. I was going to say, don't don't have an arrow knocked when you do this. (laughs) And and then scream and go at it and go at it. Okay. Um, But I, I would prefer him not to do that. I would... I would want to, I would probably escalate things to before he did that. Cause usually like they'll hang up for a while and they'll kind of lose interest. If they'll finally lose enough, it's like, okay, you're a chicken. And they just kind of lose interest and they go over the hill and they round up their ladies and leave. So I don't want to let him, I don't want to let him get that, that you're a chicken thing into his mind yet. So, you know, and it goes back to that whole gut feeling. It's like, okay, he's raked a bit. I've challenged him. He's, he's, He's bugled at me, but he just won't break loose. So now yeah. it's like a little psychology. In my opinion, I think he's thought, well, I came all this way. 
and it's your turn. It's your move. You know, it's like a game of chess. It's your turn. Show me or, or a game of cards. Show me your cards, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, I wanted to see you. So let's say he's, he's locked up at 60 yards away rubbing. You can't see him. He can't see you because there's too many big trees in the way. I will scream, and then I'll, I'll make sure I have my arrow put away. But I'll I'll go halfway to him. So if he's 60 yards, I'm going 30 yards. If he's 50 yards, I'm going 25 yards. But when I do it, I'm going to break every branch and kick every rock and make as much noise as I possibly can. And I'm going to run if, if I can um, towards that spot to where I get halfway. And usually when I almost to halfway, I start looking for like shooting lanes. I'm like, okay, if he pops out here at 20 yards or, or 30 yards or whatever, then, or 10 yards, where am I going to shoot him? And I'll stop. I'm like, oh, here's a good spot. And I'll, I will stop and I will knock an arrow immediately. I won't even usually worry about range anything because now we're within within top pin range, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I just stop and wait. And a lot of times you just given that little, that 20, if you give up 25 yards, that's all it takes. He's just like, okay. He'll, he'll give up 25 yards and come your way. Is that kind of what you're saying? You're splitting the difference? Uh, or, yeah. Or I've, I'm halfway to him now and there was enough timber in the way he, he couldn't see me approaching, but now he's got to come out of his little hidey hole to see me. Yeah. So now he's exposed himself. So he walks out to look. And a lot of times it's a broadside shot because if you watch elk, when they come together and fight, they don't just come straight in onto each other and fight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they come in and then about 10, 20 yards away from each other, they parallel, they make themselves look big. They start playing their antlers, you know, they kind of puff up, uh, kind of strut around. And so he's going to want to make himself look big. He's going to, he's going to be like, Oh man, he's that bull's right there. I want to see him. So he's going to expose himself and come out to where he can see. And, um, and I'll be ready for him. As soon as I hear the brush pop and coming him and I see an antler tip, I draw my bow and I'm ready. Um, and sometimes you do that and he turns around and runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's usually but what if, happens to me, man. But a lot of times if it's a pretty mature bull, he, I feel like they ha- kind of have an ego, in my opinion. I feel yeah. like they have, uh, that they have an ego that they've they've already hit, settled all the pecking order stuff, you know, weeks ago. They know they're the the mad, bad mamba jamba on the hillside, right? They've already whooped up on all the other balls. So those bigger ones, I feel like they they kind of know that it's like, yeah, I'm not really worried about this guy. It's probably mm-hmm. something up, so I'm going to go check him out. Hank Junior. Hank Jr. had that song years ago. It was called Attitude Adjustment, you know, and like he had to make his brother-in-law come to him with his hat in his hand kind of thing. It's kind of it's kind of that deal, man, where, where that big bull, that mature bull, he's like, okay, this 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 little guy needs an attitude adjustment, and, and it's time. He probably has a Hank Jr. song stuck in his head. Right. I want to – I so before we wrap this up, I, I know we're, we're going long, man. Um, what is like the – if you look back through all the years that you've been elk hunting and you know, you get in scenarios where we all want it to work out perfectly. 
uh, and I want to summarize kind of what you what you walked us through strategy wise. So you went out there, you let off a couple of cow calls, maybe didn't hear a bugle back. So you let out a locator bugle. You located the bull. You got him to respond three times, and you pulled out your onyx. You kind of guessed, you know, fairly. It's like an educated guess. You kind of basically know where he's at. You marked it on the onyx. You worked your way up into two hundred yards. You started vocalizing again at that point. Um, and, and then moved in a little bit closer. And at that point you start getting a little bit more aggressive and he gets aggressive back and you escalate from there in kind of a mimicky kind of, uh, you know, type of way. And at that point it's either you got a shot or he left. Is that off base or did I, did I get pretty close? That's, that's a good synopsis. Okay. So in, in all the times that you've done that, um, can you tell us, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what's like the craziest thing you've ever done as a Hail Mary when when none of this, you, you've gotten to that point where you've got the bull fired up, but then he's either hanging up or maybe he's starting to move off or he's he's pushing his cows off. Something's going on where he's not giving you a shot. And and it's like, okay, it, th- shit is getting desperate. This this guy, I could tell by the sound of his voice, he's a big bull. He's he's probably a, a freaking three hundred class, maybe a drop tine on one side. And and I'm really excited. He's excited, but I can't get him to present me with a shot. Can, can you give me like a hell mary that you've done in the past that actually worked, or or maybe maybe a hell mary that almost worked? I, I'm good with that too. Yeah. So I'm looking at this big bull. I got a head mount on my wall here and it's an Idaho bull. And my buddy Brent and I were hunting and I was the caller. He was set up as the shooter. And it wasn't that same scenario as you played out. We heard that we located this bull. We looked at our, lo- our clock in the sun. It's like, man, we've got very little time to call this bull in before it's too dark. And um, so we have to go. And we didn't even grab our packs or nothing. We heard him from the truck. We dropped down in this nasty hell hole. We literally are running us without trying to stumble and fall to our death to get down in there and try to, because he's down below us and the wind's kind of blowing. So we ran up the road a ways before we dropped in on him. Yeah. And then when we dropped in, we, we wanted to get on his level or below it because the wind was blowing downhill for the evening thermals. So we're just going as hard and as fast as we can. We get down there and we got on his level and I'm like, all right, Brent, go set up. Well, Brent gets in, in one of those beautiful uh, North Idaho alder patches and bulls coming. He's like, Oh no. I love those. <laughs> and he, he got set up in there and he, he, he couldn't even see him. He's like the bull walked right by me, but I couldn't even see, couldn't even see hair on it because it, it was so thick brush. So he gets <laughs> past Brent and he comes up the hill to me and pops out at 50 yards. And I've got a 50 yard, super steep downhill shot. I'm already drawn. I got my bow drawn. I'm just like, and he's staring, burning holes through me. I'm like, I, I can't shoot number one. He's got me pegged, especially at 50 yards. And I, it's a downhill shot. And I don't, typically don't like to shoot past 40, honestly. Yeah, me neither. Uh, like high percentage shots, right? Um, I don't want to feel like sick if I can't find the bowler if I miss. So I hold my bow forever. And finally, he turns his head to bugle and I let down. And then he kind of walks through the opening and starts kind of walking off. And it's like, so if they walk off on you and you let him walk off very far, it it's it's a it's a game over thing. He's just he's he come over and it's like, yeah, well, you're a chicken, and I'm not wasting more time on you. 
Um, walk off, walk off. I, I just want to clarify for people listening. Walk off is way different than if they, if they bust you and they're out of here, they're, they're in a different zip code at that point. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he's still, you know, he's still, um, posing, you know, I mean, he's still got his, you know, still swaggering on. He just kind of swaggers off like, yeah, I, that's what I thought chicken. And as soon as he turned his back on me, I run, I run right at him as hard as I can. And it was like red light, green light. And I'd scream and run. And he would stop and turn around. No shot. <laughs> oh. And then be like, stop on one foot, like almost like, okay, he stops and looks and he don't see me. And he turns around and starts going again. So we did this. I did, I did this six times at him. I ran at him six times. And finally, there's this last little spot. I set my bugle tube down. I'm like, okay, I, I, if I don't have, because I, I don't have a strap on my bugle tube or whatever, I set it on the ground. I, I have my arrow knocked, and I just need to move up like five yards, and I'm going to shoot this thing. And I just, I get up five yards, and he moves a little further. And, he, and there's just a little bit of a crown of a ridge there, just a little bit of a roll. Uh-huh. And I don't have, and he just kind of disappears. I'm like, oh, no. My tube's back there. What do I do? And I thought to myself, Brent, if you ever bugle again in your life, ever, do it now. I just think that (laughs) I lost track of Brent. Like, we run off, completely run off from him. We're 300 yards from Brent. I'm like thinking to myself, Brent, if you ever bugle again in your life, bugle right now. And as soon as I I thought that, Brent bugles like 50 yards behind. Oh, really? Yeah, and that bull turns around and comes right down below me, and I can't even stop him with a cow call. I'm just trying to stop him, like, and he's just like on a mission, right? Uh-huh. And he won't stop, so I have to lead him a little bit, and wham, like 20-yard shot, uh, passed through, and he died within sight. Nice, man. And we didn't even have, like, flashlights. We didn't have cell phone. We had our phones, we did not have a single light, so by the time he died within sight, we let him sit there for a while and it was completely dark. So we kind of <laughs> over to him in the dark. I'm like, I think he's right. Oh yeah, here he is. And there was no moon. It's the craziest thing. Oh, I'm, like, no. I'm like, Brent, okay, you go back to the truck. I'll sit here with him and um, go get our packs. So he went back to the truck. Thank, thank God for him to do that. And then he went and got our packs and then he got back down there with the lights and we worked him up and, packed out a load and we're we're back to the back to camp by three o'clock in the morning nice man but that right was an like 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 a charm almost <laughs> don't sit yeah do not set your pat your bugle down well and and it speaks to uh what you've talked about in the past is where like get creative get get aggressive when you need to get um try things that that seem like they're out of the norm or out of the box think outside of the box how do you put it normally you you have a way of putting it where it's like Uh, oh go ahead go ahead orthodox unorthodox yes unorthodox that's a great way to put it where and and i've gotten really good at that the last couple of years because i've been listening to you where it's like I, i i i'm in a situation it doesn't fit it doesn't fit into the perfect little you know, strategic call in or, or tactic or, or whatever. And so I start thinking outside the box and I, I try new things. And what I'm, what I'm finding is 
Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But the thing is, is that's a 50-50 shot. Whereas before, without trying the orthodox, unorthodox methods, that is a hundred percent chance of failure. Where where I just I just doubled my chances. You know, now I have a fifty percent shot. And 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 so, actually, I'm not a mathematician. I don't know if that doubles it. Does it? But either way. Uh, I, I, I just gave myself a 50% chance where before, if I wouldn't have done that or, or thought outside of the box or been unorthodox, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And so, uh, this is great stuff, man. I, I really always enjoy having you on the show. I, I always get super pumped. Um, now I'm just like, you let out that first cow call and like my, my, um, the light in my life has gotten brighter because, <laughs> you know, September is just knocking on our door. And, and I just, I, I don't know, man, I just, I freaking love this time of year when we start talking about elk hunting. And, and I, I, I just, uh, th- this has been a great conversation, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I love it. I love the conversation, man, with you. I always appreciate you coming, having me come on and, and it's always good to catch up. So. Any any other um, random, various, or off the wall tips you want to throw at a new elk hunter that uh, might be tuning in this was uh, or or this month? Well, I will say too, like if we want to talk about last season, um, I mean, I hate to make this go too long for you, but no, no, uh, I, I'm good if you're good, man. I just don't want to keep you. If if uh, like if Jessica's back there and she's like ready to call me and threaten me. Um, because I've, I've been keeping you too long. That's, that's where we need to cut it off. But, um, you might send you some money actually. <laughs> she, she's going to bribe me to keep you longer. Huh? Is that, is that the deal? <laughs> Do this every night. <laughs> Dirk, quit pissing her off, man. You gotta, you, 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 I don't know what's going on, but, <laughs> but, uh, so last season, um, so it was the last day I could hunt. Um, I got a call from Jessica that said she was going to the, going to the hospital, her appendix burst. Oh yeah. I remember this. Okay. Yeah. So she's going to the hospital and she, um, she's going to have surgery. I'm like, okay, well, and we're, we're a 10 hour drive from home. Right. I'm like, okay, we'll finish hunting out the day and then we'll come home. So anyway, we hear this bull bugle down in this nasty Canyon. And I'm like, okay, Dusty, let's go. So we we drop down in. And where I thought it was just weird, you know, sometimes the way bugles travel and where elk are located, they can really throw you off the location. Like I talked yeah. about earlier about how like, oh, yes, you can really dial it in. But sometimes they just throw you for a loop. The bull was not in where I thought he was at all. So we set up. I, I, we got danger close, I thought. And shit, man, we weren't even in the, in the right world to this elk, just the way that sound was traveling. Mm. so we get that about 30 minutes i'm like man he just ain't coming in and i, and I don't i don't haven't heard nothing so i'm like all right let's move up let's we're gonna this is this is the hail mary right this is the last day we have to leave as soon as we either scare this elk or kill it so we keep going keep going keep going keep pushing down we we drop a whole bunch of elevation and then we get to a point and then finally he answers and he's not where I thought he was at all. He was across this big basin draw or big kind of a big basin thing there. And uh, I'm like, wow, we're not even in the same world as this elk. I'm like, man, we do not have time to go over there and, you know, do it like we want to do it. 
I said, we're just going to have to call him over to our side. And it's a long ways. It's, it's a long ways. You know, if you were to shoot like with a right yardage, is there, is it yardage or like mileage? Yeah, if you, no, he was probably 800 yards across this, this little basin. Yeah. He's a long um, way. Yeah. And it's huge timber, but you have to drop like, you know, 500 feet to the creek and then climb up another 500 feet to him. So I'm like, we're gonna have to call him over here. So, and he's kind of, he's hap, he's kind of answering, but not good. But you can tell he's big. He's got a nasty big bugle. So I'm like, all right, well, here's where I'm gonna pull out all the stops, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow this bugle more times than you've ever heard anybody bugle before. And I'm gonna do the craziest, stupid cow calls, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a big rut party over here that doesn't, that's never, that's not gonna sound like anything I've ever probably even heard before. Right. Yeah. But that try to do to try and get this thing across here. I'm desperate. This desperation. So I start doing this and he shuts completely up. Like he, he's just like, (laughs) he sent you the, the hashtag WTF. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I do this. I blew, I bugle every other breath for probably 20 minutes. And on the other breath, the, the one I didn't be with, I'm just doing crazy cow calls. <laughs> just doing, just, you name it, stuff that I was making shit up. <laughs> anyway, I do this for 30 minutes. I love it. He's completely shut up at this point. So then we sit there and we're like, well, God, well that's it. I'm like, right, let's, let's, let's sit here for a little bit and have lunch and just give him just, just let's give him a chance to bugle, you know, and I'm thinking it's over. Yeah. So we sat there, sat there for another, I don't know, 15 minutes and he bugles. I'm like, Oh yeah. And I, and I so now I've put the silent treatment on. I'm not going to talk. Anymore. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. Keep telling the story. I know exactly what you're talking that, that you told me this story. So I'm excited. Keep going. Yeah. So I'm doing silent treatment. So, I don't know, a minute later, bam, he bugles again with a little more, like, muster. He's like, like, before he just kind of, this time he's like more of a full bugle. Mm-hmm. Still no answer. Then he bugles again, and I, I give him a bunch of cow calls like this. He's really long, um, yearning type cow calls. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't pretend to know what elk are saying, but I have found that once you kind of get bulls interested and worked up of whenever I kind of do that, they, 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 they like it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then he bugles again. And now he's, he's a couple hundred yards down the hill from where he'd been laying the whole time. This is the middle of the day. It's hot. It's 75 degrees and it's the middle of the day right now. And I'm like, oh, he's coming. We got him. We got him good. So I didn't really call hardly at all after that. Like I would only call if he called. And then if he called, then I would give him those cow calls, but then I'd give him a bugle. But then I'd bugle and I'd turn my bugle up the hill away from us. So once he hit the creek, I'm like, okay, Dusty, we got to move. So we were on kind of a little flat bench. So we moved over to the edge where it started getting steep. 
and it kind of opened up, the timber kind of opened up and there's huckleberry brush, kind of a south face. He's going to come right up this, this long ridge right up to us. Yeah. We get all set up. We sat there forever. I felt like probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'm not calling anymore. And I'm just like, man, he has to be coming up here. He didn't, he didn't drop all the way to the creek just to, to ghost us. And then all of a sudden, bam, he answers. He bugles it and grunts like crazy. 60 yards. He, so, so when he, you say he bugles and grunts, he, he lets off like that. And, and, and just starts going into a grunt. Like, yeah. okay. Okay. So he, like frustrated, he's frustrated. Yeah. Then he's 60 yards. And when he did that Shit. on his last couple of grunts, I went, Super quiet because I didn't want him to pinpoint us. I wanted him to come over towards us, but I didn't want him to pinpoint us. Mm-hmm. Well, mistake was he was grunting when I did it, and I should have waited a little bit because he didn't hear us. In my opinion, I think what happened is he didn't hear me, and he kept going right up the hill up to where we had our elk party earlier up by our packs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got up there and then he started barking at us. So then I started barking at him and I, so I'm like, come on, Dusty, let's go. So I just kind of charged up the hill, barking and screaming at him. And I ran right up to him like 30 yards. And he's standing there looking at us. I'm like, oh no. Oh, and I stop and I grab my, grab an arrow, knock my book, knock an arrow. And he kind of trots off and he stops and I see a little hole in the brush and I'm like, okay. I got you sucker and I shoot and my arrow was deflected and I miss him clean. And <laughs> off I see him run off up the hill. So again, I bark and I scream. So now for like 30 minutes, we play this cat and mouse game up, up and down this hill up here. And the crate, you know, this is going to sound like a, a bald faced lie, but this bull was down completely downwind of us. That's why he was barking. Cause he got her wind. Mm-hmm. He come around he got our wind. He he was completely downwind up up the hill. It's the middle of the day. All the thermals going up to him, and he was barking. But I think he was so convinced that there was some elk there, and I'm keep and I'm barking and bugling and and whatever at him, that he's just like it don't make sense. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, stuck he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So he stuck around, and we we messed around, and then I finally kind of gave up, and I walked down, looked for my arrow, found my arrow. And then he barked again, like he come back down the hill again. Yeah, that's nuts, man. We, like, we got to go back up. So we climb back up the hill, and, man, he would just never show himself again. But this huh. bull was a giant. He was, like, the best bull I've seen on public land in Idaho. Well, anywhere for a long time. Um, Is that the one you promised to send me the pin on? Yeah. Uh, um, I don't think I made that promise. I, I'm pretty sure I have it on recording here. Let me play it. <laughs> Jim, I promise I'm going to send you that pin. See there. <laughs> did you hear that? That was I, you. I, okay. All right. I'll send it over. Here, I'll no, just tell you. I'm nobody best. likes their voice when I play it back to them. I That's know. That's so, I'm so weird. <laughs> I'm so weird. <laughs> no, I, I, I remember that man. You, you, uh, you told me about that. Uh, cause, cause we were actually at that point in September, we weren't hunting that far from each other. Right. And, um, I, I remember, I remember you were telling me about that, that big sucker 
that yeah. that you had uh, and and it's it's just like an amazing story because it, it goes to show what makes me feel good actually is like you deflected the arrow like i did that twice last september i def- i deflected two two different arrows on two different bulls it actually i would say i did that on three because the bull that i ended up shooting that arrow deflected slightly and that's why a liver hit him and that's why I didn't want to track him down that night. I was worried I was going to bump him into, you know, New Mexico. Oh, uh, and, and so um, that was a deflection hit. And and it, it shouldn't have been because it was a close shot, man. It was a great shot. But anyway, it's all the butt hurt that comes out of, you know, elk hunting, especially for a guy like me that's not – I, I just don't have the skill that you do. You know what I mean? The finesse. And and you know right where to place those shots and, and the timing of the of the, you know – arrow release all, all those all those things that come together that makes that makes you like the the holistic hunter that I'm not like you have the holistic skill set down where I'm really good at calling them in I'm I'm great at locating elk I'm great at calling them in I'm great at all these things but when it when it comes to um placing that shot at the right time at the right you know or stopping the bull or determining what what is uh what what's going to be lethal? I'm I'm overly cautious. I think so. I don't let the arrow go. And then other times when I think I'm confident, I let the arrow go and and something goes awry. And so, anyways, that that's why guys like you are like you know it's it's great for guys like me to listen to guys like you because uh, that that's where all the magic happens. And so it's yeah. Anyway, I'm well, just kind of going on. I would have liked to have said I placed the perfect arrow, but. I kind of lost my crap a little bit. And when I shot through that brush, I'm like that little hole in the brush. I'm like, it was probably not much chance of hitting that out, but yeah. um, I'm like, oh, I think there's a chance I can see right through this little hole. I think I can see right where my arrow can go. And, and I was kind of dumbfounded on how big he was, but um, anyway. Like how big but, do you think that bull was? Like, like if you were to field judge him, get, give me a, give me like a score. I don't, I don't want to throw any numbers out. I mean, I don't want to throw any numbers out. 550. <laughs> 600. <no>. 600. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I think he no. was probably north of 350. Wow, man. That's, that's, uh, it's, it's crazy to think that it, because, you know, public land, public land elk, I think that there's, uh, North Idaho so freaking brushy. And so treacherous in some areas. I think there are elk here that like just die of old age because they nobody ever gets them. The wolves aren't even smart enough for these bulls. And and you know there there's so much country that just doesn't ever get human uh, presence. I I yeah. guess if you will. But yeah, they're un- what was that? They're untouchable. Yeah, they're they're untouchable. That's a good way to put it, and I I think that that happens quite a bit actually. And so, um, I I don't know. It, it's it's great stuff, man. I I just I really like listening to your stories, and especially with you because you you come you bring it home for me where I hunt North Idaho, and and you've kind of mastered it. I'm like amateurish at it, uh, and and it's it's just it's good because like, like even I I think I was I was telling somebody recently on on one of my recent podcasts I don't remember who it was we were talking about elk hunting and we were talking about how 
like I, I'd been hunting this one particular unit and then I decided to pull stakes and pull the trailer down to a completely or completely different unit. And you and I got to texting and, and come to find out you were, you were not hunting super far away from me. And, and you, I, I'm like, man, the bulls aren't talking. And you're like, yeah, man, the bulls aren't talking. And he, and you said something like, just wait till this exact day and they'll start talking. I, I can't remember. I, I don't, I think it was like September 24th. Don't worry. They'll start talking on September 24th or 23rd or something like that. Right. The 24th. I've killed a lot of bulls on the 24th. And yeah. 20, but maybe, maybe that was it. And, and whatever day you said, it was like two days later was that day. And I went out and all of a sudden the, the entirety of my elk hunt changed. All of a sudden I had elk coming in like crazy. They were responding like crazy. They were, they were just like, like everywhere, you know, elk, 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 and I was, I wasn't, it's not like I changed where I was hunting or what I was doing. It was like all of a sudden the elk were on fire and, and just going nuts and responding to everything. Every sound I made, I'd get a, I'd get a bugle. It was so much fun, man. That was one of the best, I don't know, eight, nine days I'd, I'd spent in the elk woods was, uh, was last season until I nailed that one, uh, that, that just chuckled. Um, and, and it, it was just a great season. Um, God, it's just a bummer how that one ended because <laughs> it, it seems to be the story of my life the last few years. So, well, cool, man. Um, I just appreciate you coming on, man. It, it's, it's always a great discussion. I, I think you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to September archery elk hunting. I get so excited. Uh, and, and I, I, I just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year. And I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this episode in terms of, you know, different strategies and, and the one, you know, this playbook that you, that you run seems to be so effective for, you know, not just North Idaho, obviously, uh, cause, cause it's, you've, you've nailed them in, in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, and, and Utah. And it's just like, it's a wealth of information, man. So I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, man. Always, always good to have a talk with you. Um, stick on the line for just a minute, man. But uh, let's, uh, yeah, well, like I always say. Oh, hey, uh, I was going to ask you: Are have you talked to your cousin Doug Flutie lately? Because perhaps he <laughs> he might be due for another episode. <laughs> I don't know. That guy, he's in a bad place right now. He's he's <laughs> been in and out of jail. And uh, he got in a really bad bar fight um, at a karaoke contest one night. Um, somebody tried to sing the same song he was singing, gonna sing, and he got mad and it, he hit a guy with a pool stick and was arrested. And yeah, it's not been a good scene, but oh wow, I'm so surprised. Yeah. So uh, we'll 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 keep in touch about that stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, man. That was a great episode. Great conversation. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Anytime. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the